tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Morning, welcome along to Tip Today, 1800-938-007. That's our free phone number. It won't cost you to make a call. And Doc is looking after the programme today. Coming up on the show this morning, the lack of control maintained by local councils is a key point being brought up in the Shannon today. I'll be speaking to Councillor Jamie Morris about that in just a few moments' time. The RTE Media Committee scandal continues. We will chat about that. Has the price of veterinary care uh, hiked and uh, Muriel will join us for this week's health slots and we get the latest in farming as well and the redress scheme for the survivors of mother and baby institutions is set to open for applications next month and I'll be chatting to Theresa Collins about that so all of that and much much more on the way you can text and whatsapp 083 311 you can email tip today at tipfm.com and a quick look at the front pages of some of your newspapers today. Let's uh, start with the Irish Examiner and their main story. Ireland is a target for international drug gangs who see this country as a lucrative cocaine market. The uh, Garda Commissioner Drew Harris has warned. Also on the Examiner today, a 66-year-old former soldier appeared before a sitting of Tralee District Court yesterday afternoon charged with the murder of 84-year-old Paddy O'Mahony at his home in County Kerry at the weekend. Thomas Carroll of Brookway Clan Mill is charged with a killing Patrick O'Mahony at uh, Ballyramine, uh, Castlemaine on February the 24th. The Irish Independent, and it is dominated by... Uh, a photograph of a 10-year-old child, Dylan Cody Coleman, who sadly uh, died in hospital days after being injured in an accident in uh, Shannon. And his school described him as having a gorgeous smile and a kind heart. And it's a great, great tragedy indeed for his family. You know that his mum uh, had a new baby only in, in recent days. Um, also on the end of today, Health Minister Stephen Donnelly was uh, warned that he risked uh, creating a two-tier nursing home system and an urban-rural divide by allowing people in care under the Fair Deal scheme to keep all of the income from renting their family home. The Irish Times and their main story, this is one that's going to cheer you up this morning, one of the uh, most senior executives in the HSE is to receive a redundancy package of nearly €400,000 under a deal approved by government departments and finalised in recent days. Uh, also on the front of the Times today, a Garda investigation is underway into a company that provided emergency accommodation for vulnerable children in state care, which Tusla found had fabricated pre-employment, screenings of staff and altered vetting files as well. And finally, a quick look at the Daily Mail and once again RTE in the headlines there. The media minister will face calls at a crunch meeting tomorrow to sack the entire board of RTE and appoint a new one uh, she can fully trust after the rather dramatic fallout indeed with the chair of the board. So that's a quick look at uh, what's in your newspapers today. Also much speculation I'm not sure if you've been following this on social media. Much speculation as to what is going on with the British royals, with the 
uh, disappearance of Kate in recent months. She hasn't uh, emerged uh, anywhere. And again, there's all sorts of uh, speculation and conspiracy theories around that. Anyway, do you want to make comments on anything you've heard there? If you do, we'd love to hear from you. 83 Now, the lack of control maintained by local councils is a key point being brought up in the Shannon today. It highlights the loss of education, health and driving services by local councils as they are now being run by CEOs. At least that is the claim. And Councillor Shimmy Morris, who penned the submission to the Shannon, says that closing the council offices in 2014 was a huge mistake and is affecting local democracy. And Councillor Morris joins me now. Good morning to you, Shami. Good morning, friend. Good to talk to you today. I was reading through um, the piece that you sent us, and it's rather damning about what's been going on in um, uh, local authorities over the last while, Shami. Well, it is, friend, because, um, <clears throat> first of all, we were asked to make a submission uh, last year to the to the future of local democracy, uh, the Senate public consultation on the future of local uh, democracy. So I thought, look, I'm giving over long enough, so I'm able to make a submission to it. And uh, the submission, we, the, the submission was was looked for uh, first of all because um, uh, the the Shannon themselves are doing a review of of local democracy, and I suppose really they're they're doing a re- review to see why uh, there is very poor public in- engagement um, with with councils and with uh, with with government. There's poor local engagement when it comes to uh, local area plans, development plans, part eight. So really, the the, the local engagement has dropped off, and 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 also. The fact that um, I know that uh, major political parties are having fierce trouble uh, trying to get candidates for local elections. Mm. In fact, in some some cases, they're, they're literally having to beg people to run. Um, so, really, there is a problem out there with local democracy. And, of course, it all steps back to the fact that at the time in 2014 when Big Phil and uh, Big Allen decided to close town councils. And that's, that's um, since then, <clears throat> there's been a, there's been a, a drift feed of, of power going from um, councillors to, to CEOs. And tell me about, and I mean, this might surprise people out there indeed as to how local democracy is sort of heaved off on to consultancy, uh, Shami. Um, that, in other words, undemocratically elected people really making a lot of very serious decisions that, that's affecting our lives. Brian. I, what I've noticed over the last number of years is that, um, and, and by you know, Tipperary was was the worst hit fan in terms of, of uh, everything being being amalgamated into one council. We went from nine councils down to one. We lost six uh, town councils, one borough council, and two county councils all amalgamated into one. Now that was a major that had a major effect on on services up and down up and down the county, and also the ability for for. For people to, 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 to run an election, you know, it's a, it's a major uh, thing to put your name forward for, for a county council election where, where you'd be looking to get elected with a thousand votes. So the fact that they have taken that option away from people, uh, it is very, very difficult <coughs> to get anyone to put their name forward for, for local elections. And they, the, also the fact that the, the government themselves are, are, are not funding um, uh, councils properly. In other words, councils have to depend on rates or they have to depend on local property tax. And then you come come down to the, how the money is spent. We could not take a chewing gum off the ground in Nina unless unless we, we hired a consultant uh, uh, to make a decision on it and tell us how to do it. That's that's the way it's gone now. Before before this, in, in town councils, we had our own 
repair crews for you know repairing houses or even doing extensions for me they're all crews with all apprenticeships you know uh, you, you had plumbers or you had uh, carpenters all of those are gone now and so everything now has been deferred to CEOs unelected CEOs who then defer to consultants and I think you saw my piece there did mm-hmm. I, I I was looking at amazement one time at a, at a, at a project in Nina uh, where, where consultants were getting 600,000 euros to draw up a plan for, for the historic quarter in Nina. That's just, just to draw up a plan. So I said to myself, how much are we paying consultants? So I did an FOI just on capital projects. And between 2019 and 2022, we had spent 11.2 million euros on consultants. And when I, when I broke it down then, I broke it down, for instance, to the you know to the social houses that were being built in Nina at the time. We were paid thirty one thousand extra per house to consultants when we had our own architect in the county. Wow! And that that's just in the Nina Municipal District. No, that's no, sorry, that was in Tipperary uh, alone. But but the, the the social houses that I I picked on were social housing schemes in Nina, where we were, we paid over three hundred and sixty thousand euros for for uh, for thirty something houses that were being built in Nina just to cons- for con- in consultant fees. Where, where did all this stem from, this whole change of ethos and change as to how things are done? It changed. It, it, the whole thing changed. The game changed, Fran, when, when town councils were taken out. You, you had the lowest and purest form of democracy, and cheapest form of democracy, mm. where if someone had an issue, for instance, in Australia, people are Australian up in arms at the moment. If there was, if they, if there was a town council, There'd be no doubt that two or three of those people would be elected to the to the local council and they'd have a say on the running of the town for the next five years. That's the type of democracy that we should be encouraging. But instead, uh, they decided, uh, the Labour Party and Fine Gael decided that, uh, that they take out um, um, town councils. Now, bear in mind, at the same time, there was a half-hour attempt to take out the Shannon, uh, mm. which the government yeah. put 15 million into, into a, a referendum uh, something like the referendums coming at the moment, and never bothered the backside to canvas for the referendum that they were supporting themselves. So, so the Shannon stayed, and the town councils went. And I, and I know for a fact that um, you know, I, I've actually held on to the last budget we did in, in Nina. It was a three point two million budget just for the town of Nina to be spent in Nina, decided by people that were elected in Nina. It elected in Nina by the people of Nina. Okay, that, that's just Nina. You you multiply that by, by mm. six town councils, the one borough council. You've lost an awful lot of money that was that was, that was determined. Yeah, Jamie, but it, I remember at the time there wasn't a big protest about from ordinary people uh, to, for about losing the town councils. The, you know, because we were promised in savings because of it. We were, friend. We were given a spiff that, that, that the savings that would be made would be spent on the roads. Well, we saw what happened. A few years after that, where the, where the roads went to the, into an awful state, the, 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 the country went into a bit of a spin after the Celtic Tiger collapsed, and and the, the roads went into into an awful state. I mean, look, you, you often have Nola Dwyer on there from Thurles, mm. and he he tell you that you know to, I have to laugh sometimes when he says are, are they putting are, are they putting uh, porridge in, into the potholes where where some of the some of the repairs that are done are just not good enough, and it, you can actually see it more so, Fran, in footpaths. Yeah. Footpaths in, yeah. in estates around the place. We cannot fix a footpath in, in, in Nina, but the same as in every town around the, around the, uh, the county, unless someone has actually fallen in that estate at that place. That's the place where, uh, because Irish public bodies are actually paying for the repairs because of so many claims up and down the country. And that that's 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 the type of democracy we have at the moment, where where we can only fix footpaths literally where people have fallen. 
And, uh, you know, I don't know how many councillors have come on here over the last few years and we've spoken about various different issues. And it seems as if, you know, certain things are presented to them at council meetings as a fait accompli, Shami, you know, that it doesn't even get discussed in some ways uh, with the councillors. It doesn't, Fran, because what happened was you had 40 members uh, in a chamber. And I think the first meeting to pay for a member right were taking five and six hours. You know, if you wanted to discuss something in Ina, someone else wanted to discuss something in Artfin. And, yeah. and we were being pulled and dragged all over the place. And after a while, um, councillors just gave up and decided that they'd do their business at the municipal district area where we haven't got the money to do business with, but we were trying our best to do business there. And what happened was then that literally councillors came in and deferred to the CEO. And, and that's, that's what happened. You, you see that meetings are they're so controlled now. Management reports are barely gone through. Um, um, you know, people have literally given up because, say, for instance, I, as I said, if I brought up something about Nina, someone rightly then might bring up something about somebody else somewhere else in the county. I've lost my conversation then because because someone else has decided the, count, the, 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 the council is too big. You cannot operate a council with 40 councillors. So, therefore, the CEO took over. And again, as I said, we cannot make a decision based on anything until it goes to consultants. And a perfect example of that was in, in Skahana, just, just outside Pogon. There's a beautiful little bathing area there uh, on the lake. And the place has become absolutely over, over, overgrown with, with reeds. And so I look rightfully look for the reeds to be taken because actually there was a little playground there and everything. The whole thing has been overgrown with reeds. And I, I regard them as weeds, okay? So we were told we could not take them away at such time as we got an environmental consultant down to tell us. So the whole thing was the whole thing was scrapped because obviously you had to go and get money for the environmental consultant. And that, that's the type of thing that, that, that has happened. But more importantly, friend, people are not putting their name forward for elections. And that's, that's the real blow on this where, where yeah. people have decided... Because, because you, ma- you made the point as well, Jamie. I mean, in your own case, I mean, you were elected on a single issue. And, and are you telling me that that could not happen again with the way things are set up? Uh, look, I, do you know what? I take my head off to any, any new person putting their name uh, forward for council, but it's a daunting task to get a thousand votes. You know, you have to get a massive block of votes coming out of somewhere. And what I found over the last couple of years is that town people don't vote anymore. I mean, the, the votes, the, the voting in, in Nina has been shocking over the last number of years. You'd be barely looking to get to 40%, whereas you had a local candidate, say, for instance, in Golden or something like that. Michael Fitzgerald is a great vote-getter mm. in Golden. He could come out with a couple of thousand votes because they, they're supporting their local mm. man. Whereas whereas the people in towns are just not voting anymore because they've decided that, that um, you know, that they, don't have, they don't have a say in it. And the other thing is that there was really a blow to people, Fran, was the local area offices that were closed, along yeah. with the town councils, where people had a daily interaction with the council. They would not pay their rates, they would not pay their rent, they would not have made a complaint about a road. All of that was taken away to be replaced by a phone service. And that's what you're doing. You're phoning in, you're, you're on the line for five or six minutes waiting, you're talking to someone, you're transferred to someone else. And, you know, you don't... The whole person, personal side of things is gone. But you were throwing your hat in the ring <coughs> again, again, Shamey, knowing all of this, like, so... And I am, and I don't know, <clears throat> I, I couldn't be sure whether I'd be elected or not because trying to get <clears throat> people out to vote is a huge issue. But you know what? I, I am put trouble. I, I honestly believe, Fran, that I've been, because I've been doing it for a while, because I've been 
a bit tougher on management than some people have that I still have a, a role to play in, in terms of trying to get projects over the line in Nina. And uh, so I'm happy. Look, I'll be honest with you, I, I had surgery before Christmas and after mm. sister after Christmas. Mm. I am finding it hard to get the energy to do it. I'll be honest with you. But uh, look, I, I will plough on, throw my name into the hat whenever I, I, pick, I pick myself up and, and uh, I will drive on. And in terms of the submission then, I mean, is there a danger of what's happening in the Shannon today? This will be some kind of talking shop and we'll go back to the way things are and there won't be any change. I mean, is there an appetite to change local government? Because in other countries it works extremely well and it has an autonomous aspect to it as well. Fran, I'll be honest with you, the local government we have uh, violates the principle of subsidiarity, which means that decisions will be taken as close as possible to the place where decisions impact. Now, look, most of our decisions are are, are, are taken by consultants in some room up and down the country. Um, so, look, I, I, to be honest with you, Van, it's easier for me not to do this. It's easier for me to stay at home in India today and not to do this. But I'm going to stay true to myself and I'm going to follow through on, on, on the principle that the taking away of town councils was an awful, it created an awful mess for local democracy. So I will follow through, but it's very interesting, friend, that, that the, the two parties have no role, have no speakers at this today, Sinn Féin and the Labour Party. The Labour Party are the ones that took away town councils, and Sinn Féin are the ones that are jumping in every bandwagon around the place, but they, yet they have a one speaker uh, up here today. And what, why do you think that is? I don't know, friend. To be honest with you, I'm surprised, because uh, this is something I would have thought that they, they, they would have been all over. But... Um, they obviously didn't make any submission to it, and they have decided that this is something worth giving up. Not 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 putting their name forward for, or not putting a speaker forward for, or not making a submission to. But what I'm really surprised about is, is the Labour Party, because within within months of the town council being closed, Brendan Howney came out came out and mm. said it was the biggest mistake they ever made. He did, yeah, he did indeed. <laughs> and yet, and yet they, they made they have made no su- submission into the future of local democracy. All right, Jamie, it's going to be interesting. Do you think, is there any chance that town councils might be re-established in somebody? Is that on anybody's agenda? It's it's not, Fran. It, it, it was part of of um, Sinn Féin's policy, probably the Labour Party's policy. I, I remember Fianna, Fianna Fáil um, talking about it, and it seems to have disappeared. But look, what happened today is that the... The committee will go away and and, uh, and uh, decipher everything that's been said to them today, and they'll come up with an idea. I, I'll be honest with you. I suppose if if the if the council decided to look at giving a bit of power back to councillors, because we've lost so much power in the past that it, just a slippage has to stop. And I suppose the latest power to be lost, friend. And you have people on the radio and councillors on the radio, morning, noon, and night, giving out about the handing over of power to Irish Water. Yeah, that has been the greatest disaster inflicted on local democracy up and down up and down the country. And yet, we're, we're throwing money at Irish Water. They are, at the moment, hiring up to seven, seven, 700 staff. While water workers in Tiberi County Council are being offered up to 100 grand uh, to retire, some of them in the, at the, uh, just at the age of 50. <laughs> you know, when, when do we show staff and waste the money in this country? Yeah, I heard Ivan Yates come out as well and, and put the whole thing back on the agenda about, you know, water coming from, from the Shannon up to Dublin again and saying that, you know, that has to be happening as soon as possible. So that's that's kind of being back uh, spoken of again now, even though we thought it had gone off the the agenda. 
Oh, it had never gone off the agenda. It actually has statutory yeah. right in, yeah. the, in the national development plan. The route of the, the route of the pipe from Partee to Dublin is standardised, and anyone uh, that thinks they own the land along along it um, don't own the land. The state have been gifted it. Um, you know, they'll decide afterwards how they're going to pay them first. Um, it, it, yes, Irish Water are making a, a, go, a go at this because it's in front of a new uh, committee that have been set up. The, the MPAG, the, the Major Projects Advisory Group has been set up to advise the government on major projects. And of course, one of the people that is sitting on that, in the, on that um, committee is uh, a former RPS uh, consultant who became the head of Irish Water. <laughs> so it is ironic that that man has appeared uh, on the major MPAG group, which is going to decide this project. Uh, Irish Water having to kick at it again to see is, is there any interest out there. Fran, this is environmental absolute environmental vandalism. You know, to pump water from 100, 173 kilometres from, from Partine to Dublin through 500 farm, uh, farms up and down the country into pipes that are leaking at 50%. Rather than fixing the pipes and rather than taking water uh, close by its source, this has the, this has the potential, France, to be a second National Children's Hospital because this thing won't stop at 2 billion euros. I can't see them getting the money for it, but they're making a go at it again. Uh, the government, are, I mean, the, the, the narrative, Fran, is that Dublin needs water, that it can't give planning permission. And uh, Clark Sheridan, where, where there's going to be a major holding tank for the water, mm. can't, uh, has, a, has a wastewater treatment plant that has, there's no plan to, to upgrade it, but, we, but not one extra house will be built in Clark Sheridan. There are many towns and villages in the Midwest whose wastewater, wastewater treatment plants are in dire need of, of upgrading. Uh, we have no money for that, but we have money to pump. Uh, two billion euros to pump water to Dublin. That's not needed. And one other thing that's after coming up, coming up, Fran, in, in the last few weeks, I'm actually spending the last uh, ten days with with, with Emma Kennedy uh, from Kennedy Analysis, mm. going through um, uh, questions that we sent into the CRU who are over this uh, overseeing this this pipeline. Yes. And and we noticed that one of the biggest problems with with river water, and the government are after being hammered in in, in the EU over. It, is the amount of THM in, in, in our water, which is which is cancerous, uh, to, cancerous to, to to people. It's 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 a it's a major issue with, with water. It comes mainly from groundwater, and we're talking about, or sorry, from river water. We're talking about pumping our river water to Dublin, in a country that has been that it has as two hundred forty thousand people uh, under threat of cancer from from uh, THMs in, in water not being treated properly, and yes we're going to spend money on a project to pump more river water into the pipes of Dublin. You know, no matter what way you look at this, it just doesn't make well, sense. I, I was taken by how Yates was putting this and saying that Dublin will be without water in just a few years' time. And that uh, this appears to be the only option because, as you know, Shami, they looked at other options and dismissed them. And so this is the only uh, one left in town, so to speak. Well, it's the only one. See, Dublin has no water shortage upon it. Dublin has it's a water a leakage. management problem. Yeah, yeah, it's a leakage. Yeah. It? Yeah. And and also Dublin Dublin is has massive amounts of river, uh, uh, groundwater. Yeah. And uh, Dublin Dublin has the sea beside it. If they wanted to desalinate, it's good enough for. But did they um, did they examine all of those options and came up with a no? <laughs> yeah. you know, they came up with this plan and they're driving it through. It's driven by consultants. We we, we know um, our famous consultants again. They're, they they seem to be the new gods in the country. 
it's a bit like the National Children's Hospital. We're all saying now we shouldn't have built it there. Yeah. But yes, it's been built there. It's costing so much. Can you imagine how much money this project is going to cost, Fran? And then what's happening is they're pumping 330 million litres of, of treated water a day into pipes in Dublin that are already looking, losing 300 million litres. Sure, anyone looking at it would say this is madness. And for and for and also they they said many years ago. I, I've heard I'm hearing this going back many years ago. that Dublin is, is out of water. Mm-hmm. If that's the case, Fran, why didn't they put in their submission into into uh, on board Penal in 2019 when they're supposed to have to? We're five years down the road where Dublin supposedly is short of water, and you won't see this project coming to fruition for another ten years, Fran. So if Dublin is short of water, how come they're dragging their feet? It's interesting. Shamey, best of luck today and thanks thanks for coming on with us uh, this morning. Thank, Thank you very you. much. Good, good morning to you. That's Councillor Shamey Morris, the independent Councillor Shamey Morris there speaking to us from Nina this morning, heading to the Shannon. Um, we'll take a break back in just a moment. Now, Richard Wood was listening to Shamey Morris speaking to us there and he joins me. Now, Richard, good morning to you. Good morning, friend. Uh, excuse me now uh, before I send you. I'm a, I'm a bit blocked up in the head this morning, so... No problem at all. Cold, I'm, I'm a bit like that. So so snap, uh, Richard, and all of that. Listen, you, you're you're somebody who your your family has been steeped in, uh, in local politics for years, Richard. What what are you making of where we are now? Well, to begin with, I, I agree with an, an awful lot of what uh, Shamey said. Yeah. Um, I mean, if we were, if we were to start, for example, with the abolition of the local councils, uh, the local councils were a way where. Ordinary people, the people of the town were represented by, by, by their neighbours, basically. And you didn't have to have money behind you to go for the, the local council. Mm. And, 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 you, and we had councils for years that effectively represented the people of Cashel and Tipperary and Torres and all these other towns around the county that lost out. And to me, the abolition of the town councils was a deliberate move to take away... Uh, power from independence. They don't want independence. They do not want independent voices. And anyone that's there now, uh, county councillors who are representing parties, at the end of the day, when the crunch comes for anything, are they going to take the party whip or are they going to represent the people who mm. voted for Well, we've seen recently, Richard, where, the, you know, they go along with the party whip. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm. And, and especially if you're looking at someone who has ambitions to go further yeah. in politics. Yeah. Uh, so, like, I mean, it was a huge loss. Uh, like myself now, OK, I, I ran unsuccessfully in 2009 for the town council. Yeah. I got pipped at the post by my sister now. I, I still have a great interest in everything that happens, not just in Cashin, yeah. but in, 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 in South Prairie in, in general. Um, I would love to go for the county council. But I haven't a snowball's chance in hell of going for the county council. Because apart from everything else, uh, once they change the electoral areas, I couldn't possibly canvas from Cashel down to Emily and every place in between to try and meet people and, 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 and do a job at the same time. You couldn't, so Richard, unless, but, but your family name would be so well known, like, you know. But, uh, unless you're financially independent... Yeah, you, it really isn't something you can you can do anymore if you don't have a party behind yeah. you, or if you're if you're not already established. And this is where I'm getting at it. Before somebody could get elected to the town council, yes, they get established, they get a reputation for doing their work and everything. That gives them a platform to go for the county council. But to come in now from nothing, 
to try and get to the county council and cover all that ground. It's nigh and impossible. Yeah. I don't envy Shamey's job. He's dead right. A man that even down here in South Tipperary is well known and has a good reputation. I can see he has a huge task ahead of him to get re-elected because he's on his own. But Richard, was it a case that we didn't know what we were losing because there was not a huge hue and cry at the time? But you see... Yep, a lot of people took their eye off of the ball. Um, they, they they got a chance to vote to get rid of the Senate, and they didn't because at the time they decided mm. because the government was was in favour of holding on to the Senate, or no, was in favour of getting rid of it. Yes. And, the, and the Kenny at the time in particular yeah, was very that, vocal about it. Yeah, that they give the government a kicking by 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 beating them in the referendum. Um, then, of course. Uh, uh, to me, the government latched onto this notion. Oh, we must make savings in in yeah. in, in some place, and that there's over representation in certain parts and all this kind of thing. And uh, people in general didn't take a whole lot of notice. Was those those who were interested could see that it was an absolute disaster. Um, like historically, even I know, and you know from growing up in Cashel, when it came to the crunch. No matter whether they were Fine Gael, Fianna Fáil, Labour, Independent, Socialist, whatever they were, when they came to the crunch for Cashel, they stood as one. Yeah, yeah. And and and, and that's completely lost now. Yeah, and I remember and, the and, passion in the in those various councils over the years of people like yeah. your dad and Packy Lahey there and Diddy Burns. You know, I mean, incredible, incredible passion. Yeah, I, 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 for I, the I was laughing. I was even talking to someone the other day about it, and I said, you know. Um, they could tear strips out of each yeah. other on a Monday night. Yeah. But um, back when, when we didn't have a family care, if my father was stuck for a care two days later, Will McInerney would give him a loan of a care. That's right. You know, <laughs> because they, they, yeah. they, don't, they, they fought it out in the chamber, but at the end of the day, if it was something particularly of inter- for cash alone, mm. they, they stood by him. But, yeah. um, and do you remember, my, Richard, my at the time, if you, be- if you needed a house, you got a house. You did. You know. But, like, my father always told, spoke that, um, to him, there needed to be a cordial professional relationship yeah. between the executive and the councillors. And that you shouldn't cross the line and get overly pally with them or anything like that, but maintain a cordial professional relationship. And, 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 and that's the way he went about his business for 44 years. But... I see it, it's gone the other way now, and I often wonder, it might be simplistic, but I'd ask the listeners, what's your concept of the county council? Because to me, I think there's an executive, the same as you have in any company, Mm. and that the board of directors are actually the county council, and that the board of directors are supposed to see that the executive carry out the orders and do do the work in yes. a proper fashion. Yeah. In recent years, I can see it quite plainly, it's gone the opposite way around. Uh, the county councillors are being told what to do and when to do it by the executive. They seem to have no say when it comes to a lot of key matters. Things are being presented to them. Oh, we're having a consultation on it. But you know damn well that most of the time their minds is made up before... And Richard, did it make sense what Jamie was saying to you then? Because, you know, what are the, <laughs> the, there's, there's 40 councillors there now. Everybody can't have speaking time on issues. I mean, it would be just no. t- too, too much, you know. So, well, so it's, uh, it's well, made I mean, it easy for that system that you describe to be the one in place. Yeah. Well, I suppose if they revert back to the 
to the two con- constituencies for Dáil elections. Mm. Um, why, why, not, be, why not the council? It would be very difficult for them to, to, to argue why we can't revert yeah. back to North and to South Tipperary County Councils. Yes, because everybody but, has said to me, all councils have said, this is not working. It just doesn't work. Yeah. Now, uh, to get back to where I said it's uh, it's the tail wagging the dog, I, I, I a couple of years back, a, a county councillor friend of mine uh, who knew I'd be interested in local stuff and that, not from our own elected Larry, but anyway, he, 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 he showed me this email and, and he said, what do you think of that? He said, um, there's an organisation, he said, that, um, that is involved with the council. And somebody wrote to all the councillors saying that there was issues and problems within it. And uh, we got an email, he says, from the executive telling us basically to mind our own business. Wow. You know? Wow. And, this was, and he, gave, he gave me a copy of the email. I, you know, and, and I said, are you serious? He said, yeah, that's what it's gone to now, he said. Um, we're, we're only in there, he said. We, if we're lucky, we get a couple of minutes to talk, he says. And we're only there for rubber stamp. And, and, and he says, you, you'll see things happening in your area, he said, and mo- most of the time the councillors, they get little on our say in it. But there's another thing, Fran, I wanted to bring up to you, yeah. if you don't mind. Yeah, sure. And it, it touches on the de- democratic system as well. <clears throat> the referendums that are there at the minute, mm. when, when, when these were mentioned first, we were told that uh, the deci- decision to run these referendums came about because of suggestions from the Citizens' Assembly. Yes. Right. So now, think of it this way. If you want to know who your county councillors are in the morning, you can go online and you can get the names of the county councillors and their contact numbers. Equally, you can do the same for the Senate and you can do the same for TDs. I contacted the Citizens' Assembly to ask them who were these people who were representing me. They ignored me. And what is that saying to you? Well, if you, because of that, then I decided I'd go and I'd look and I'd see how did it come about? Mm. So a little blurb on, online about it tells you that originally it, it was uh, just put out there that people who were interested could, could uh, put their name forward. Uh, to be selected for this Citizens' Assembly. Then it, then it changed again where uh, the Citizens' Assembly was picked from 20,000 households that were contacted. Now, I don't know any of the 20,000, or how did they pick the 20,000? Well, they, they, they say it's randomly selected, Richard. It's randomly um, selected. Well, what they're saying is that it's randomly selected in some yeah, fashion. Yeah, but, but, but it's randomly selected from the 20,000. But uh, who decided on the 20,000? Yeah, and and they're assuring us that it reflects Irish society. Well, the there makeup, you go. The makeup of that. Then, in 2022, it changed again. Mm. So that now, you can be on the Citizens' Assembly and you don't even have to be a registered voter. Yes. And these faceless people are supposed to be representing you and me and all the rest of the people in the country. Even though we're told that the wording... That was put forward by the Citizens' Assembly for this referendum is not the wording that we're looking yes. at at the moment. Well, 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 I laughed when I heard that because, to, to me, uh, I'm cynical enough to think, well, they're saying that so that people will stop giving out about the Citizens' Assembly. That, oh, the Citizens' Assembly suddenly only said, well, this might be a good idea. 
And they looked at their warden and said, well, no, the warden is bad, but the idea is good. But the bottom line is, uh, the idea for it mm. came from these people who are elected by nobody and a citizen of the country, when they inquire who these people are, isn't given the information. And as somebody who's been looking at politics for years, do you think this, uh, these referendums are necessary? Do you think that they I don't. And, like, um, be honest with you, uh, no more than an awful lot of people, I mean, I, I wouldn't know enough about the law and that to... to, to, to uh, the Constitution. Yeah, yeah. But I have to say, and, and I haven't done have to, and I've said it to other people, your, your, your coverage of it has been fantastic. And, and anyone who wanted to listen to the coverage and the interviews you did with people, uh, you had people on who uh, were quite clear about it. And uh, I have to say, uh, your interview with Michael McDowell was fantastic. Yeah, thank you. And, and after he... Uh, anyone else can come on and start talking about it. But you were one of the top lawyers in this country. And he was very clear and he spoke in a language that only people could understand. And, and, and it was hugely helpful. And I, I know for sure I'll be voting no as a result of that interview. Uh, as, as I had a result my doubts of that, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. But that, that cop professed to me. I said, OK, we'll listen to all the other people who come on uh, and you balance them out with their qualifications and their experience against a former attorney general and a top lawyer, and a man who has remained in politics as an independent. So he's not in politics for the money. He's in politics still for what he can contribute to this country. And, and uh, you're after doing those a great service because the mainstream RTE and the main national broadcasters uh, aren't covering it on a balanced extent like you are. Well, you see, I suppose... It, it, I can't believe I'm standing up for RT here. But when you look at it, what's out there, who is saying no? There's only Antsu. Every other party is in agreement with a, a yes, yes for this, Richard, you know? Like, it's yeah. it's incredible. I've never come across a situation like that before. No, no. Um, yeah, you're right there. There's, there's people coming out there and you're saying to yourself, I can't believe that I'd be voting in the same way as these yeah, people. Yeah, yeah. But for once huge amount of people and that's it if people if people agree we're never going to get a, someone who you'll agree in everything to. and if you did it'll be a boring life but people will have to judge for themselves and on the balance of what either independence of whoever they are putting themselves up in local elections what they stand for is to judge on that would because you the one thing that the one thing i see down the years whatever about in the doll depending on, 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 on the, the, the strength of the candidate that gets there. But councils can work absolutely as good with a whole load of independents as with parties. Because remember, at the end of the day, uh, the independent has nobody to answer to, only the electorate. The, the party man, no matter how good he, his intentions are going in, at the end of the day, when he goes down to Clonmel or goes to Nina to a meeting, he's under a party whip. Yeah, but the, the only for, any for, ambitions to stay in the party, I mean, I, he's I, not going to go I, again. I don't have to tell you for independence then to be effective in any way, they have to club together. And naturally, if you club together, you're almost forming a consensus. So you're almost forming some kind of party situation anyway. Is that not inevitable, Richard? Well, it's it's not when you don't have a whip system. The huge thing to me is the whip system. Yes, you can you you can you can have a group of independents that, as I said, of, of like mind. By and, 
yeah. of like mind. Yeah. But when it comes to individual things, there's there, 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 there's no hammer coming down on anyone that you have to vote for this if you don't agree with. Yeah. But to have to have basically enough of stuff that are of like mind that 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 can work effectively, and and. Uh, Thankfully, we'll have a few of them. I, I must leave it there, Richard, it. but can I ask you something? Because a lot of people are encouraging your, your brother Tom to go again after all the years. But what about you? Would you ever think of putting your head in the ring again? As I said, I, I, I would love to, but I wouldn't be able to do it. It's, mm. it's just, it's too big a task. But that's when, the only when, thing that would stop you, is it? That it would be... Yeah, like, I mean, I, I be, be, between between Fine Gael and my brother as an independent... Yeah. Uh, other than, other than the last elections, I've been canvassing since 1974. Yeah. And, and uh, I know I've seen it. And, uh, like, the last time that, that he ran for election and we got here, uh, we were only a small family. We were exhausted. I can imagine. But the only thing that b- you up was the fact that uh, he got elected. Yeah. But, but like, it, it, it's a huge task. You know, but you have to come out there after work in the evening and, and, and travel the length and breadth of the country. And nine people, when they're home from work, having, having, having their, having their, having their tea evening or meal or that. Because things have changed so much. Even if you're on holidays, if you were to take, able to afford to take two months out, you'd meet nobody during the day. I know. Richard, so I must I must leave it there, but thank you thank you so much anyway, for coming on. Mo- most interesting, most interesting thank conversation. You. Thanks, Bye-bye. Richard. Bye bye, Janan. It's Richard in Cashel. Now, Doc was just telling me that there's been an accident on the L four one oh one. That's the Littleton to Balanunti Road at the rectory. There, the road is partially closed. I'm told, but it is passable. But if you're travelling in that area, just keep that in mind. And the Gardaí are at the scene there. Um, Councillor Maureen McGrath was on to us as well. She says, "Well said, Shamey." He's so right about the lack of powers in the local authority. We're often in agreement in the council chamber. I too will be raising my frustrations in the Shannon debate today about the level of overreach and dictate from government departments, state bodies and national policies. The disconnect with Ishka Ern uh, being a prime example, as I say, that's according to uh, Councillor Maureen McGrath today, and a lot of people in there as well, following my chat with Richard Wood uh, as well. Let's move on to something else just briefly, because we know the price of everything has increased hugely in recent months, and the cost of looking after a pet is no exception. Leo was in contact with us and joins me now. Leo, good morning to you. Good morning, Van. How are you getting on? I, I'm very well indeed. And you have personal experience of this. Will you tell me about your experience? Yeah, Van. Um, basically, it's, it starts off, I suppose, with, with the veterinary clinics and the prices of the flea and tick tablets, warm tablets and stuff like that. That's only a start of it, like, you know. Mm. But uh, they've gone up enormous price, would say. You know, they've gone up to nearly 40 euros for a small, for, for a very small dog, I, I have a miniature Jack Russell. Um, forty euros. Forty euros, wow. yeah. That's for, that's what I paid yesterday from. And and how many times? Enough. How many times a year, Leo? Are you talking about? Basically, what happens is if you're if you're involved with a vet with your pets, uh, you'll get a text message every three months. Right. And they'll text you saying that your your stuff is ready for you. And your dog, your dog is due the, the flea and tick uh, right. stuff like, and uh, you just go in then and, and collect your tablets and pay your money, and it's 
I, I was talking to another Victory Clinic yesterday now, and they said it's, it goes by weight as well, like, you know, oh. so I, I'm not sure myself, now, to be honest with you, I don't really know the, the But But you have priced about. around a bit, Leo, have oh, you? Oh, I have, yeah. yeah. Now, there were, there were 24 euros in some places, uh, there were 35 in other places, you wow. know, and then 40 in other places. It's, it's quite so, a difference, isn't it? Yeah. And is it like a, the GP service? Is it hard to get a dog in with a vet now, or is that is oh, that easy? Oh, yeah. It's, 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 it's like, it's like um, going to the, the, the hospital now yourself because you're walking into a reception area, uh, you're met by the receptionist, very nice receptionists in mm. most places. Like, you know, the, mm. the receptionists have to do with our job. But they're very well-spoken and, you know, mm. say, oh, yeah, we'll take your dog in and we'll get the, the nurse to look at him. They have a nurse now and <laughs> a doctor, you could say, a mm. veterinary clinic. And, you know, you're waiting for them to come back to you and they'll probably say to you, well, your dog needs an operation, which happened to me about... Was it before Christmas? I happened to minister Jack Russell just fell out of my arms and he damaged his leg. And I was told then that when I took the, the dog to the vet that he needed a serious operation and it was going to cost me over a thousand two hundred euros. And I hadn't the money, to be honest with you. I was borrowing it off my brother mm. to pay for the poor dog. Like I was felt so sorry for him. And they went ahead with the operation and they discovered that when they'd done the x rays and everything that, um, Oh, sorry, when they actually operated on him, they had x-rays taken, which cost, I think, around 200 euros. Um, they discovered that the bone was healing and there was no need of the operation. And they closed him up again and charged me, I think it was 500-something euros. Um, Good do you know God. what I mean? Like, so, and it's just, it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Like, um, it's, it's so exciting. And did you ever think of, of having insurance? Because... Any of the vets I speak to, they're, they're advocating that at the moment because, you know, procedures are so expensive for animals now, Leo. Yeah, yeah. Uh, insurance is another thing then as well. Like, you, you, you're you paying X amount of money every so often, like, for the insurance. And you, do you know what I mean, Fran? You might need it. Mm. I know it's great there when you want it. And is it expensive? It, it's expensive enough. Is it, Expensive yeah. enough, yeah. It, it's a kind of a regular thing, like, if they open a direct debit and... And uh, what I'm thinking of, of elderly people, they're like with their pet, you know, and they're, they're probably on an old age pension or something, you know, and it's the only thing they have if they're living on their own. And uh, I, I think myself, it's just, it, it's gone it's gone out of all proportion. Uh, dog food, the whole lot, everything is gone so expensive now, you know, to keep your pet. Yeah. And sometimes licensed. if people are living on their own, I mean, a pet is a lifesaver, literally well, I a think, lifesaver. I think so, anyway. You know, at mm. the end of the day, you, you pay anything to get your little pet sorted out, like, you know, but I, I couldn't believe, you know, you, you, I remember the veterinary clinics years ago were rough and ready now. Don't get me wrong about this. Yeah. But nowadays, nowadays they're like surgeries. And the you, clinics, you walk yeah. into a big, massive reception area, you could have two or three, three receptionists. And I think myself, to be honest with you, friend, that they're making money from small animals rather than big animals. They're making more money now. Because if you're getting a text message every three months, that's me, we'll say. So you can imagine how many thousand people will be getting those texts. And they know exactly how much they're going to get from you each, 
each three, you know, every time that this but you, I mean, if they're investing in premises like you describe and in staffing and then overheads are gone so huge for everything, I suppose that has to reflect itself, Leo, in what they're charging people like yourself then. It, I, I don't know. It, it does, I suppose, in yeah. one sense, like, you know, but there seem to be, there seem to be just piling on mm. the pressure. You know, it seems to be getting worse and worse and worse. And would like, it put you in a in a situation where you'd say, you know, going forward, I won't have a pet because I can't afford a pet? Well, I know, yeah. It's like, uh, <laughs> I won't have a child. When you're living on your own, mm. you know, yeah. uh, and you're, you know, it's, it's a different kind of fish. Like, well, it's, a, it's a thing like that you... You always adore, like, you, you're a little animal, like, yeah, you know, sure no matter whether it's a dog or a cat or mm. whatever it should be, like, you know, and and you just, you fall in love with them, basically, like, you're, like yeah. your children. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as I said, but everything seems to be just gone crazy with animals, small animals, especially, like, you know. Isn't it? Well, we're going we're gonna to put it out there. Somebody else is making an interesting point and saying it's the same with dog grooming. They charge by the weight and the size of your dog. That's in from Patrick. Uh, today, yeah. but again, other people are making the point that grooming is even gone very expensive for 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 dogs as well. So, uh, Le- Leo, I must go because I'm heading towards news. But thank you so much for coming on with us and highlighting that today. No problem, Frank. Right. No problem. Thanks, Leo. Thank you. Bye bye to you. News is coming. Thanks, Pat. Isn't that an incredible figure when you think about it? Eighty-five percent of people who applied for international protection at Dublin Airport in 2023 arrived with either no or false identity. Uh, documents and uh, as Pat said there those figures have been supplied by the Department of Justice via Freedom of Information request and in total 4,712 people made an asylum claim at Dublin Airport last year Uh, 4,007 had no or false identity documents and they're kind of Surprising figures, I'm sure you'll agree. Um, lots of people getting in touch with us about various different things that we bring you some of that. But we were talking to Leo there about the cost of um, going to the vet. And one listener says, my daughter uh, had her dog's tooth pulled last week and it cost €380. Euro. €380. Euro. Good God almighty. Um, Patrick says the same with uh, dog grooming. They charge by the weight and the size of your dog. Uh, Brian on to say, I'm blue in the face trying to tell people that unelected uh, individuals are now being enabled uh, to run the country and even in Europe. Look at the NGOs shaping legislation and self-appointed dictators like the WEF steering world policy. It's time to stop this starting at local level. Uh, David was listening to the conversation about water being pumped to Dublin, saying that water is already going to Dublin via the canals. And what about the land at either side of the motorways? The council already own that, and that's where the pipes should go. A bit of common sense in need, but that's not where the pipes will be going, you see. Um, All right, somebody else saying to us, democracy is dying a death in Ireland, and it's the top echelon of people in power who are facilitating it to enable them to make decisions unopposed. Uh, Marie was on to say, shame you're so right about the abolition of town councils. Here in Carrick and Shore, we had nine town councillors, all in competition for their own particular projects, but they got things done and they really missed in Carrick and Shore. Carmel says, Fran, no point in voting because councillors really can't do anything for us. 
Well, Carmel, I understand your frustration, but I'm a great believer in using the old vote. You know, we might have issues and we might wonder sometimes if what's effective and what isn't and stuff, but still the vote, the vote is very important. Now, the redress scheme for survivors of mother and baby institutions is set to open for applications next month. The controversial scheme was originally due to open, as you might remember, last year, but it missed the deadline. People will be able to apply to the scheme from the 20th of March onwards. And the Children's Minister, Roderick O'Gorman, said that once the scheme opens, the payment scheme office will process all applications as quickly as possible with the first payments expected to be made in quarter two of this year. Now, Teresa Collins is with the We Are Still Here, Sean Ross Abbey Group, and she joins me now. Teresa, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran, and good morning, everyone. And lovely to talk to you today. Teresa, it's been a long time coming, but will there be closure from this, do you think? Uh, a long time coming, friend. Um there probably will be closure to a certain limit, but the exact amount of closure now I can't say because um, the part of, say, children under six months does yeah. not come in under this scheme, and which I'm one of them, so I absolutely get nothing. Um, now, for the longer people, that's, it's uh, the older generation, it's long overdue, and there's over 24,000 of them on the long waiting list of that. So I'm delighted to see something going forward for them and fair play to them. Um, it's going to be a hard process maybe in ways because people don't understand um, how to apply. Mm. Again, I'm going to say it's going to be open on the 20th of March. If you're not even involved, say, with the modern baby homes and you have done spent some time there, perhaps maybe get someone through senior citizens' information, someone to download the forms for you, someone to show you where to go. I mean, don't be afraid to go into local county council offices, local TD offices and say, look, I need help with this, our family, you know, if family knows the situation. So... Um, for the older generation, it probably is a bit daunting to sort out. Uh, Roderick but, O'Gorman is saying, and I love your view on this, Teresa, he is saying that in the majority of cases, the process involves a simple application form and there will not be a requirement to submit records. Um, a simple application form and <laughs> submit records sounds great on paper, but it can be often changed, as right. we have found out over the years. Um, the older generation that went for their information and tracing was different to what I had done. And that's, I did mine maybe 15 years ago. So that has rechanged again. So I will say, all I can say is get help if they need it. Don't be afraid to ask for that help in filling up. You give your name and address. But if there's people maybe, say, in nursing homes that mightn't have a way of getting onto the laptop, but they might have a care, carer or the head of the nursing home, people like that that might be leaving their houses, um, don't be afraid to ask people for help to get what they need. And you just, know? just for listeners out there, and again, I'd like your view on this, I mean, the payments... At least my understanding of this ranged from 5,000 for mothers who were in one of the institutions for less than three months and those who spent up to six months entitled to 10,000, for example. And obviously the figure increases then with length of stay. Is they, Have I that right, do you think, Teresa? Yeah, you have it practically right, Bren. Um To be honest, the long-stay people deserve more than what they get. It's pittance to what they get. Um 
to what they did because they worked for them institutions. They made money for them institutions. Their children made money for them institutions. I, to be honest, to the long-term people, I don't think you could ever, the amount of money you get would ever cause the hardship they went through, to be honest. Of course. It'll go some way in solace to them is the best way in saying it. It'll give them some hope. And even in saying that, we have lost a lot of our older generation mm-hmm you know, over the years down along that didn't see a penny. So I look at it, it's a good and it's a bad and there's an in-between with it. And I mean, once you get your money and if you accept it, you signed an affidavit that you won't be suing the state. So you're kind of yeah. bound to keep your mouth quiet after that again, like, you know. I suppose, but but still, the, I mean, again, with my math, about two-thirds of people still alive, who were born in the institutions, not eligible at all. So out of 38,000 people, 24,000 will be excluded from, from a payment. Yeah, I'm one of them 24,000 yeah. friends. Yeah. You know, that's a part we could fight. But I think the reason, I, I this is only the way we look at it, um, the reason them 24,000 is excluded from being the early age of six months because there were a lot of adoptions done. There were a lot of illegal children sold out, if you get my meaning. But but is it not a case that, you know, people like yourself, you're considered not to have suffered harm uh, or, or to be deserving of redress, Teresa? And I mean, had, was your life impacted to the point that that, that doesn't apply to you? I mean, you, you have suffered harm, have you not? We have suffered harm, friend, and I think people don't realise it because they don't see you on the outside looking at you as to what you are on the inside. Um, yes, we have suffered. And yes, I think the minute you're born, even for a minute in that place, you deserve some bit of compensation. That is 100% true. I mean, I mean, we just have to go with it now. But I think at the same time, we mightn't let it go. As I say, I'm not fully into the redress scheme, being not involved in it yes, as such myself. Yeah. But I can guarantee you, if they do decide to take a case where the under six months and that I will get involved with it. I'll be more in tune with it then because it comes into my section of affecting me um, as such. But look, um, that was their decision. I think it was wrong. It was a total wrong decision to make that. Anyone born in them institution, as I said, if you had five minutes in it, is enough to be compensated. And in your own case, were you discriminated against because of even just the short time you spent there? Was there... You know, um, friend. I think at the beginning when I bought my own case out out publicly, I was a bit. I was saying, "How dare you being attacked to the religious orders? What do you think you are? How do you, you know, you're you're really spending your history? Are you sure you want this? You hear all that type. And I mean, I had been attacked over, first of all, over condemning the religious orders for what they've done. But I rose above it because I mean. I can't help my history, but I will fight for my history. You know, that starts the way. And what about the latest where Sean Ross is concerned then, Teresa? Yeah, we've got on good now. We have our scans done on the piece of ground outside Sean Ross, the area, the section that we were saying that we would have done. There is anomalies there. Um, we got our results back from Precision Engineering who did the scan for us. Um, they have gone up to the government to look at and um, it's in their hands at the moment, and they're they're probably going through it like a fine tooth comb, like you have to. Yes. And um, so we're just waiting to see on the government status of it. We found four sections of anomalies there, so 
it's up to the government now to come on and examine right. those. And what, when you say anomalies. when you say anomalies, the the possibility is of it being a burial site, isn't that it? So. <sighs> It's not ruling it out. It's not ruling it in. As I said, the, only, the scans, the idea of the scans was to bring out the sections where it was needed to be bought out. We have now bought out the sections that was needed to be bought out. So it takes a forensic, I suppose. I wouldn't be great on this side of it mm. now. Mm. It'll take a forensic expert to find out if it's actually human. All right. And, and the possibility of excavation then, Teresa, is that... Is it, you know? Again, Fran, it'll take. I don't know what way we'll go about it until we see what the government say. Because yeah. um, your excavation mightn't exactly work like it would work in Tomb, because Tomb is septic tank. Yes, ours is ground scans and ground. Um, I genuinely can't answer that till I'm a hundred percent sure what okay. way we're going ahead with it. You know, I think we have to take it one step at a time, see will the government come back now and investigate the four sections that we've put to them there that needs investigation. And if they come back with that, then at least, you know, you know where you're going from there. So I won't, I can't comment until I know fully what way that's going to go. And that's that's fair enough uh, too. The last time I spoke to you, Teresa, we were talking about the situation at Racket Hall and uh, the yeah. like. What, what are your thoughts at this point about what's happening in Ross Gray? honest, uh, the record hall was my main concern because it has stopped us from coming in. Um, it stopped people from coming. I, I have a family now that was booked to come in in March because they couldn't make September. Mm. They're coming in to Nina and I will meet them there. Now we will go out and see Sean Ross and we will take him through it. There's no problem in that. So it is. I think the fact of the lack of a place to stay when you do do a commemoration mm. and you have maybe 20 or 30 visitors coming in from America and all over, they actually have no place to stay now. So I, that is a fury of the hotel being missing. Mm. You know, it takes a, it took a vocal point off of us, a connection point off of us over there. And it wasn't just, as I say, for September. If families came in, they'd often get on to me a message, look, can I meet you? Would you mind meeting up? We've met them throughout the year, people that might be over in September, but have come over on holidays. Um, they've stayed a weekend in, in the record hall. Now they haven't that. So that part is mm. hard because you had to stop the commemorations of course. to what we used to do. Well, Teresa, that's very interesting. So are, are people in contact with you all the time who have ties to, to Sean Ross? Friend, I have contacts nearly three, four times a week. And I've been talking to a lady who came down there now last Sunday. She came down for meat. She was down with her brother and her other brother was born there. And um, it's hard on them because they come and they like some place, you know, maybe to stay overnight even and just to go back out before to go. But the next thing they had to stay, come and go again. You know, there's no such thing as is it almost is it almost a a spiritual experience? Is it almost a pilgrimage for them in some way? Is that friend? It's a very very fantastic connection to both their birth side, their mother's side, and the history side. People don't realise when people come back from these places that they're coming back to where they were born. You know, it's a hard person there. It's a, it's, a, it's a tough one for them, Tracy, yeah. It's extremely tough. And, friend, we listen to cases. I mean, sorry now, I am slightly crying saying this, but 
There is heartfelt cases out there. There is people that love to go there. And that is their way of connection because maybe the mother they had is passed away. And that was the only connection they had to the birth mother. If the mother, birth mother passed away, the fact that the two of them were there together, that was the only connection left. So, God, you know, for them coming back, yeah. it's that part of the, an experience that is hard for them, you know. And, and you, you're upset now yourself. So it must be very emotional when you bring them there then, Teresa. And... Oh, friend, no one realises the emotion in it. Because I tell you, you have to be human and you are human. And it is one of the hardest things to do, but you do it. You know, when I look back uh, over the years now in all I've helped, and with the people, Mike Donovan, I have to say, only for Mike Donovan, the Anton Ralph Gray, he kept us saying at times, I think the two of us, we plugged away at it and we did it. But we did it out of love and out of concern and out of dealing with people who hadn't the chance to know their history, out of people that was born there and didn't get a chance to know the mother. There's an awful lot of a connection in it, you know. People, friend, when you look at it, there's over 32,000 in Tipperary alone would be connections with Sean Ross, mother and baby. Wow. 30, now, just just in the county, Teresa? In the county, yeah. My God. My God. So yeah. you could say every second person's house, whether it be grandmothers, great-grandmothers, fathers, great-grandfathers, down along the line, there is a big connection yeah, to and, Sean and, Ross. And when we, you see, when we talk about redress, and all of that is very important, and you know the committee coming up with the, uh, the report and all of it, mm. but sometimes then we miss out on this huge emotional tie to this place and this... Friend, that's the know. part that they do miss out on the most is the ties. As the saying is, we know ourselves, it's our family. Yeah. And the ties to the children that didn't get out of there. Because we still have families coming back who knows their brother, their sister, their granddaughter, whatever, is buried there, but they don't know where they are. I mean, you'd be, you'd want, and I will invite you, please God, whenever we get a commemoration going, because we cancelled this year's one, yes. but I would invite you, and I'd invite any member, any person into Prairie to come and see. And I'm ashamed and to, to say, Teresa, that I, I haven't been, but. Is there a sense that the place itself is, I don't know, is, is there something about the place when you're there? Is there? Friend, the first time I went into it, I said I'd never go in again. Now, that is, that's gone out the door. Yeah. Um, there is, friend, there is something about the place, but the only way you're going to get to know the place is go in and keep there, meet the people involved and talk to the people involved because they are the ones that have the history far better than what any government figures or statistics is. And I'll tell you, you wouldn't believe how many. You would just not believe how many. I've had two there now in the last week that I've dealt with, one from um, Wolverhampton and the other from Canada. And they're even looking for tracing back. And you what, know, what, you what, was their, their mother there? or how? Do... Grandmother in one case and an aunt in another. My God. My God. So there is a lot in it. Um, you know, it isn't just the fact of not having a place to stay. It's part of not having a place to stay for them. Because when you come that distance, you don't want to just stay a few hours and go home. 
you, the, the most of them used to come weekends. Some of them would stay two or three weeks and use um, the record hall as a base, come and go. And you what, know? what is the effect on them? Um... Disgusting. Um, sorry to see it happening. Um, can't can't understand it, how come a good hotel that we always used yeah. has gone to now not being used. Um, Accommodation-wise, it's hard. There's only, I think, a, is it a nine-bedroom B&B in Rosgrave? As I say, the couple I'm meeting now that's over for the St. Patrick's weekend, I'm meeting, they're staying in the Abbey Court in Nina now rather than the Racket Hall, and I'll be meeting them from there. So we're now recommending hotels outside of the Rosgrave area to other accommodations. Even the Airbnbs or wherever we can get, we're actually recommending them to use them and to look them up because um, that's the only way to come, you know. I mean, people do make it as a holiday and they do make it as a trip to Rosgrave and people come back year after year. It isn't just new people. We have people coming there last 15, 20 years. Teresa, it's always good to talk to you, and I'm sorry if I upset you today by talking to you, Not Teresa. Not at all, but, but friend. I'm just kind of one of those ones you know yourself. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. But listen, you look after you, Teresa, and thanks for coming on with me. Thank you. Okay, friend. Thank thanks, you. Good, everybody. Good, good bye. Morning. Thank bye. you. Bye bye, Gina. That's Teresa Collins speaking to us there. Um, 1800-938-007. The text and WhatsApp is 83 Double three, double one. Oh, great friend of the show, uh, John Mack in Cashel. John McGrath in Cashel joins me now. John, good morning to you. Morning, Brian. How are you doing? I'm doing, I'm doing good, John. You you think there's a crisis in fishing, John? Well, there is. There is. There's a desperate art, you know. What is and it? I'm, deli- I'm delighted that Gary Hernfeller rose that yesterday and out, you know, to make a point of it. Yeah. Because I've been trying to raise this in the last few years. The rivers and their stocks are dwindling away due to complete and utter abuse. That's what it is. And all the poaching, all the unlicensed fishing, all the things that's going on. And there's absolutely... Now, I know, I understand that the fisheries officers have loads of places to be at the mm. one time, and there's so many... There's so little of them there. They can't be everywhere at the one time. But I can give you loads of instances. Like uh, the, the river in Care is taking some passion there. Every day. All day, every day. Well, would yeah. you just explain those of us who, who don't understand about fishing? Would you just explain what the rules are and what's been broken? The rules on the shore, right? Or just use the shore, yeah, because it's local. The rules on the shore is right. The shore opens on the seventeenth of March, Paddy's Day, and it closes in September, the, the last day of September, right? Okay. So after that, there's no fishing. Now, any angler that's in any club knows that, right? Yeah. And everybody, well, most of the people, members of clubs especially, they abide by the rules. But there's other people that it doesn't seem to affect. And most of them don't speak our language now, to be honest with you. Now, there's a lot of other lads from other counties that come and do the fishing as well out of season. And what they're doing, you see, is killing all the, the hen fish and the cockfish that are breeding. And the, them fish, their stocks come back in four years' time. There's going to be nothing left. There's going to be absolutely nothing left if it continues. I went to the infield there one Sunday, let me see, it was just before Christmas. And there were 17 of them, there were big spinning rods, pulling in spent salmon like there was no tomorrow and catching them and killing them. And it's a catch and release river for salmon. And I reported this to the fisheries board, they came out with the boys were gone, but they came out a few times. And I don't know, I didn't ever hear them catching any of them. But they're there every day, 
So you go along with what Senator Garda Heron is saying. He told the Shannon, as you say yourself, as you alluded to, he said that local anglers have given up fishing on the shore due to the amount of poaching taking place. Well, well, I approach forum, and I'm not a small fella now. I approach forum, but every one of them are bigger than me. And the next minute they couldn't speak English, and the next minute the chest was out. You know this crack? And they would have intimidated you. So it got aggressive, did it? Well, they did, yeah. And all this. Now, you're going to get people ringing in saying, oh, he's only a racist, this, that, the other. This is not the point I'm making. The point I'm making is our river is being pillaged, and there'll be nothing left for the lads coming on. And the art of fly fishing and the whole lot, they'll be... They'll have nothing to do when he be stuck on computers. Do you know what I mean? Let me play but, devil's advocate for a minute, John. Is it possible that because these people have a grasp of English, they don't know about the rules around the fishing? Well, no, I was just going to come to that point. I don't know if there's kind of a, a paper that we don't know about. Do you know, like we have the Nationalists or something like that. Is there a paper that these people read? I, I, you could put it... You a could local put it one, you mean, paper. is it? A local, yeah, a local I, paper I, like that. I don't that. think so, John. Well, not the yeah. one that I've heard of, anyway. But they do, they, they do know, because they hide the fish. I've been saying, I'm watching them, John. So they do know, and they don't care. Somebody says, tell John that the 17th of March to the 30th of September is for brown trout. You can fish for pike and perch all year round on the shore. Is that right? You can, with permission from your club. All and right, I'm not so... Talking. Yeah, you can ask your club, any club member, any... Um, uh, committee member to say can, can I fish on Saturday for pike in such an area then we know it's you but you have to get permission you have to get permission yeah that's the rule we have but you have you're always going to get people like that poking holes and little things but what I'm talking about is anyone that has any passion for their local rivers should stand up and fight for this that this is the way it is when you're in Rome do what the Romans do and it's not all foreign nationals there's people from other counties coming here as well because their rivers are cleaned out. And this is what's happening. They're going to clean out the shore as well. And and Minister Martin Hayden told Senator Heron that, you know, that the, the, the river is policed day and night, but there is a limited uh, number of, of IFI to look after. Do, have you, do, do you see policing? I've seen... I, I, bumped, I bumped into... The, as we, the bailiffs, we call them, but the fishery officers, right? Yeah. And I bumped into them loads of times. Now, in one day last year, I was on the river shore in a certain place. And I was there all day from dawn to dusk. And I was stopped three times for a salmon license by three different officers. Three right? times? Okay. Three times in the one day. Wow. But there was loads of people that go fishing all the time and there doesn't seem to be anything happening. I don't know what's going on in that situation. And I understand that they can't be everywhere at the, all the time. Do you know what I mean? They have the coast to do as well. And, and it, the is there a way to report people to... Well, it says uh, any uh, anyone that has a club car, well, in our club cars anyway, it says reports any incidents poaching. No, you don't mind. You wouldn't be doing it all the time, obviously. Do you know what I mean? But when it's a mass scale like this, and they're just killing everything, anything from four inches to 30 inches long, killed, dead and gone. And it's wrong. Because there'd be nothing left for the young fellas. And, and how do you mean killing? You're talking about fishing them out, is that it? Or is there fishing something... Them, fishing them out. Well, I've got reports of netting going on in our local area here. But I haven't seen that myself. It's only talk that I heard. So I can't go on that. I haven't seen it with my own two eyes. And are some, of, some of these guys, is it a view to selling them, John? Or is it for their, their own consumption? No, no, one, no, one right in the head with, no one that'll be right in the head when he's a spent fish. Because a spent fish can kill you. 
know. Yeah, somebody, somebody else asked me to ask you about the condition of the river and the safety of eating fish out of the river. Well, uh, you see, this is when the, the fish come in from the sea, the salmon in particular come in from the sea from September on. So they'd be moving up. They'd be moving up to breed. And if you catch them on the way up, you're killing the salmon and you could have between six and 10,000 eggs inside now. So you're killing all of them. And if you catch her on the way back, she's spent. She's no good. If she gets back to the salt barrier, she might survive. Or the cockfish in that in that respect. You know, they might get back to the salt barrier and get cured and get out to sea again and come back bigger in a couple of years' time, you know. But it is wicked to God what's going on. And it's every day. And I'm sure uh, every other town is the same way with a river going through it. Yeah. And as far as these fellas sticking out the chest and doing the intimidation crack... If they're that brave, why don't they go back to the war-torn countries and do their duty by their own countries? Not to be intimidating all the people. I know. Yeah. And Gareth Ahern was right about all the people that have worked all their lives. Irish people have worked all their lives and they're going down to the river and they're being intimidated. And they get intimidated and have to leave. You know what I mean? And what did you say to them? I mean, how, how did you approach it with them? I just went down to them and I said, no fishing. Now, I have no authority in that area. I don't, I don't, I'm not a member of the club there. I don't have any authority there. Mm. But I'm just speaking from someone with a passion for the lo- our lovely river shore. You know, I just go up to them and say to them, listen, lads, there's no fishing, just that and the other. And the next minute they can start shouting between themselves. And it is intimidating. You know. And, I mean, you know, so, some of our politicians listen to us on a daily basis, John. I mean, is this something they need to be taking up? I mean, Gareth Hearn is already doing it, but... Do other people need to take this up and bring it to the well, dial? Yeah, well, well, if you look at it, most things come down to money, which is unfortunate. We live in the material world. Then I don't know how many anglers there is in Ireland, but I pay my hundred euro every week, every year for a license. Then on top of that, I have my club fees, I have my insurances, and this, that, and the other, you know. And these people can just go down and fish away and do nothing and do kill everything. And we do a catch and release program. It's illegal to kill a salmon on the river shore. And you can it, take a trout. It, there's a bag limit on trout within the clubs. Is there a tourism aspect to this as well? Of course there is. Jesus, I often take Americans, English, Australians, New Zealanders, Canadians, you know, and there's going to be nothing left for them either. There's not even a bed for them to sleep in. Not a way to say the bed of the river. Huh? In the name of Jesus. Things have oh. gone mad. And yeah. Another thing, Fran, just before yes, you go, yeah. before we wind up, you see... We we have to pay all these things, mm. and they, they, other people pay nothing. And not only is it foreign nationals that's doing it, but the people as Gareth Ahern put across there, they're coming from other counties, and I can't stress that enough. They're coming from other counties because their rivers are cleaned out, and they're desperate. You know. Well, it is desperate because I mean, if this is a tourist attraction, now as you said, there's a problem it with the combination. It is a major but, tourist yeah. attraction. Yeah, and it's up to every club to look after their own waters. Every one of us now in the Cashel Gold and Tipperary Enders Association, we look after our own waters. We pay our own ways and our own fees. Do you know? And the last time you spoke to me on this was a case that people were even dumping dead animals in, 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 in the river. Is that still going on or has that I abated? Haven't, I, haven't, I haven't seen one since. Have you not? Okay. No. Oh, good. No. Good. At least that's there's when that. I saw was the calves. I don't ever want to witness that oh, again. Oh, God almighty. Years. You showed us the videos. That was incredible. Oh, Chase Allison had some laugh over that. <laughs> uh, she, well, she did because you were getting so so sick over it. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. sure. 
All right, John, look after yourself. Fran, just before you go now, mm, yeah. if anyone is texting in, they need more racist to find saying that I'm a racist and I'm just that, you look. I'm not a racist. I hate everyone either. <laughs> <laughs> good luck, good luck, good luck, good, good luck. Good luck. Good That's a... Uh, <laughs> That's John speaking to us this morning. All right, 1800-938-007. And you're very welcome back to Tip Today. Do you know, I've been meaning to say to you for some days, and I can't get over this, um, I think it's called the Powerstown Roundabout. It's just, it's not too far from where we are here ourselves, but I come in by it every day at work. And, and some local Picasso, like with a tin of spray paint, for some reason or other, best known to himself, is spraying images of male genitalia penises and testicles on road signs. Do you know? Like, why would somebody get up in the morning and say, do you know what I'm going to do today now, just to keep myself amused? I'm going to go to the local paint shop and buy a tin of black spray paint and I'm going to go to certain signposts around and I'm going to spray pictures of penises on it. It it, it, I mean, is it just me or does that beggar belief, you know? And I pass it every morning and I'm getting more and more annoyed with uh, the whole thing. But I wonder, what do you think of that? Now, as you know, I even have my doubts about graffiti. I know some people say, oh, yeah, it's grand and it's an art form and blah, blah, blah. I don't like graffiti. I like murals. Uh, particularly we're blessed in this county, some beautiful murals right around the county. I don't like graffiti. That's just me. Um, But I really don't understand why somebody would deface signs around the thing. And and you can only imagine what a psychotherapist would make of... And I presume it's a fella. I presume it's a young lad. Uh, going around doing doing this, wouldn't you be very interested in what a, what a psychotherapist might say about somebody who feels the need to 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 paint genitalia uh, on signposts? I, I I don't know. Do you have examples of that? And is it just me? Am I getting old and and grumpy or something? Brian was on to say, I tried to have a conversation with some uh, foreign anglers about the rules. One individual. Uh, took out a large knife and started making shapes. I thought it better to leave, even though I was fishing in that uh, particular spot when they arrived. Um, I fished there for over 50 years on and off, but I haven't gone back there since. Well, I can't, I can't blame you uh, where that is uh, concerned. Uh, Ricky says that John is right, and I have a question to ask Fran. OK, Ricky, well, ask away, no problem. Somebody else saying, I heard if you're genuinely hungry or poor, you can fish for your food without a licence. Is there any truth in that? Well, I I don't know, to be honest with you. We're getting a big response to uh, Teresa being on with me uh, this morning as well. Just a couple of those. Patrick says, God love Teresa. I was in Sean Ross with her and uh, I left crying on that uh, particular day. And um, a couple of other people onto us about that one saying what what a wonderful lady she is indeed. Now, somebody brought up the notion as well, because we were talking to Leo about the cost of uh, veterinary care for your, your pet. But somebody made the point that old age pensioners can use their medical card for their doc, dog or cat, I presume, at the vets. Um, now, Doc made a, a check on this for me and seemingly it is not true. Okay, you you can't use a medical card. Uh, there was 
there were some vouchers from charities, but there is no government scheme for helping you where, where your pets are concerned. So there you go. All right. Um, we're moving. I think I can move on, Doc, can't I? Um, after listening to uh, Patrick McCone uh, speak about all things breathing and sleep-related yesterday, many of you got in touch to share your own uh, sleep-related horror stories with us. And John joins me. Good morning to you, John. Good morning, Fran. Good to, good to talk to you today. Thanks for making time for us, John, because I know you're busy today. But will you tell me about your experience with, with sleep and the heart attack? Well, just listen to that gentleman yesterday. Uh, he's raising, you know, he's writing every expre- you know, everything what he said, and I can relay with him what sleep apnea is about. Um, many years ago, he said yesterday that around 50 would be the time of the men getting the, you know, the sleep back. Yes. Yeah. Now, I pran, like, I pran a bit of weight. Yeah. And things, as they went along, I was driving a lot and I was putting weight and weight on. I wasn't watching myself and different things have happened in my life. But I've changed it around now. But having said that, I couldn't figure out what, what happened. Um... My doctor in Cork sent me to the place in Cork where you get, the, you know, the machine uh, to be tested for yes. sleep back. Yeah. And what what happened was I was uh, top class for it, for the machine. Mm. And I went on the machine then and I didn't know what sleep apnea meant or whatever the case meant. For, and I mm. hadn't a clue. I didn't even know anything about different things. But anyway, having said that, I was on the sleep apnea machine. I'm still on it. Um, but anyway, as the years went on, I, uh, you know, was attending Cork uh, twice, four times a year. The heart specialist, the diabetic eye, and my own doctor here, different things have happened. Um, I got a heart attack in my sleep, and I didn't even know until they told me. Good God. And I, I, I didn't know what happened I and uh, you know when I done the echo and stuff for my heart and all that uh, the Peter Carney Professor Carney in Cork uh, he said to me that you know that you had a, a heart attack and I said was it you know he said it was a mild heart attack but it was a warning but I was on the sleep apnea machine at the time so what he done then was he he checked to see you there's a little disc in the machine mm, mm. that was back at the cork. So he checked all that out and I wasn't registered with with cork, uh, you know, as such. So what he done was he contacted uh, where you get to sleep at the machine and that loan there up there. We got a new machine. The guy came down, put the disc into it um, and re- registered me with cork again. In other words, I... That gentleman yesterday was saying that your sleep, the whole lot. I was getting less sleep. I was getting four hours sleep, waking up, um, and then trying to get back again to sleep again. I was waking up and I was tired the next day. I I, I had to go for a nap in the afternoon there. I was so tired. So it, it, it takes a lot out of you. And, and, and John, was the heart attack related directly to the sleep apnea? No. I think I don't know. I don't know. Really. I I have a in the regular heartbeat. You right. see, so yeah. maybe that's no. It's just that Patrick. I, one one of the things that Patrick said to me yesterday was that if you have sleep apnea, it can affect your heart. You know, 
it, it can, yes, it yeah. can. And he was right what he said. So that's why uh, Professor Carney in Cork, the heart specialist, uh, took took notice of this, and then he went all out to get. I I had an old machine, and then I got a new machine. So the the new machine is much is slower and it's faster. It's modern. And there's a disc in that that I'm registered in that, and they can look in Cork. Uh, they can get a count if they go back into it to see what what you know what sleep I'm getting. Yes, of course. And what yeah. way to, and what way the sleep apnea machine is affecting you when you're asleep. And and do you yeah, use it every night, uh, John? I I do, yeah. I have to, and I tell you why, Fran. I fell asleep one night without the machine, and uh, when I woke up, I, I was kind of I my as as that gentleman was saying yesterday, you'd be all dry and you'd be you'd be all kind of you would know what's after happening. Mm. Uh, you in other words, your body is forcing the oxygen to go to your you know, to go to your brain or as such. Yes. If you understand yeah, what yeah, I mean. I do, yes. So, so um, during, if I can go back to the pandemic, I've a memeloma and I had it in my head and I wore a mask and uh, what happened was the mask, when I took it off my head, I tore on my skin so I had to go to Waterford. Okay. So what they do now is to stick up... Um, two nostrils up your nose now and put it around your cheek because it's better and uh, you know and it's it's it, mm. it helps and you have to close your mouth when you're when you're doing that and when he was saying yesterday when you're walking you have to keep your mouth kind of closed yes, if you understand your nose. yeah 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 it's, it's much the same at night time you have to do this now i'm so used to it now because my ways it's still a bit it's, I lost a lot of weight but it's still there and uh, if you hadn't got that friend you'd be in serious serious trouble and, and, and I didn't even, what, what about we- wearing you know the mask and, and the machine I, is it hard to sleep with that and do you have to sleep on your back all the time John no no I sleep on my side oh and do what you happens okay. is, friend, yeah what 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 happened, um, I got my hips done at the time, my two hips, and I got my knee done. Uh, I had to sleep on my back with the machine. That was hard. Yes. But now that I can sleep on my side, uh, it's 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 better. But uh, the only thing about a friend is that you have to have that. If you don't have that, what happens with my machine, maybe other people that are on the same level, um, you you fall asleep. Uh, there's a pressure on the machine that comes on slow for 20 minutes, and then after the 20 minutes, you're gone fast asleep. Well, I do, and then the pressure goes on a bit stronger into your nostrils uh, to bring the um, you know the the oxygen mm, yeah. to to your brain, and that's that's what happens. Um, because if you don't get that, um, you you're in you're in serious trouble. And tell me this, now, John: Are you feeling better because of this? Though you know that fogginess and that tiredness is that is that gone now? Or yeah, with this machine, yes, friends, uh, wow. friend, it has wow. the it has these off. The other machine was too old and uh, it was kind of irritated, but he recommended with this new machine. There's a new machine there, and it's like. It's like a kind of a, it's like a gears. It's like first and second gear. It comes on slow yes. for about twenty minutes, and then uh, I'd be kind of asleep, and then uh, it picks up faster as you as you're sleeping. Now, um, all fairness, 
my wife don't hear this machine, but the last machine was like a. It was very loud. Uh, it was like a machine. It was very loud, and it was unfair uh, for her. <coughs> excuse me here. Now I I sleep away from my wife because uh, the the breeze of this is very strong. Yes, and sure. It, yeah. I I put the I put the lead under my arm there where I can I can hold on to it. And I just sleep then and. I, I get about six to seven hours um, With, sleep with without waking. Without waking. Wow! So, which which is fantastic. Um, and and tell me, have you two used that machine for the rest of your life now, John? Well, it, it all depends. I think on your weight, um, you have to lose your weight, and that's what they tell me. And if you lose the weight, I go back and I get tested again in Cork. Uh, the people that do that, oh, you I know, see. they put things. But the weight, kind of the, the weight, the weight, is, it, weight. is what it's all about, really, is it? Uh, yeah. What happened? What happened, Fran? I was fairly okay up to around fifty. I was fairly active. I I done a lot of driving, and I think that's what knocked me about. So I was doing long hours driving. So it, it, it things have happened then. And if anybody is listening to this, I I'd say look, try and do exercises. Yeah. And then I had problems with with hips and different my legs and stuff. And I I was reclined to do you know long long walks or whatever the yeah. case may be. But the sleep atmosphere, the machine is very. Tis um <clears throat> excuse me. Tis tis very important to have it if you're overweight. And if people say, especially with the men, uh, it's it's. The auction and that gentleman yesterday, he knows his stuff. That man was on yesterday. He does know his stuff. And that's why I was listening to everything that he was saying, that it, it features with what's happening with me and probably other people as well. And it, you know, Yeah, and, and I need a bit of advice from you, John, because, Jenny Mac, I'd love to lose some weight myself. And, and, and I always no, feel... I heard you, I heard you yeah, is, is I it heard all, you Is it all about exercise with, with you, John? Is that, you know, or... Yes, no, I... I I think, uh, like, I, I was in the army most of my life and I was fairly fit. And then when I left the army, I went driving. Yeah. And then the dry, I I done a lot of hours in the driving. And I think I, la- I, I lacked the days myself and I just, uh, I, because when you're driving, oh, you're tired and then you're, you're waiting, you're eating and different things. And I think I was gone 50 when all this happened. And then I found out then, uh, when I came back from Leb, you know, before I retired, and I had an irregular heartbeat uh, because I I hit my head or something many years ago, mm. and lands uh, and I pure gland was damaged, and that's with this all started. I think uh-huh. as far as you know, I'm with Professor O'Halloran in Cork as well, Donald O'Halloran, and uh, they're two fine men. Yeah. Lucky enough, I, I when I came home from Leb, I went. The region, and they look, and then they found out all about me. Regular heartbeat. The whole, I never knew I had this. Right. Um, and and there's somebody that, asking John about you know getting one of these uh, machines. Is it expensive, or how you know how does that work? Yeah, they're they're expensive, friend, but they're they're covered under a medical card if you have a medical card okay. or you have private insurance. Um, but the, the the guy, the surgeon in Cork, right? He's the guy that. Will will get that for you. They overlap things. Whatever the more, they overlap things more than a, an ordinary doctor would. Uh, like if I'm on a strong tablet, uh, the doctor might be able to recommend that they will. 
Okay. The heart okay. specialists okay. will. And, right. and they'll be able to do this uh, with the machine. But if you're on a medical card, you'll get it. And the most important thing is keep the machine active and, and respect it. And, uh, you know, make sure that it's working. Because the people that operate them machines are from Athlone. And they're, fran- they're fantastic. If I have a problem uh, with anything, uh, there's a guy here in the area who will come straight away. Uh, when he, the, yeah. the, the last, the, not to hold you up there, but the new machine I got there is, it's it's not noisy anymore. It's very quiet. A light just comes on, and then, it, when you're asleep, the light goes kind of goes off. Then, and when you want to press it off, then you just press a button. It's more modern and it, it's fantastic. Well, it's it's and great, it, John, to get an insight into that because I was often wondering about it. And and the main problem that I could have seen when I saw those machines was how in the name of God could you sleep at all with them? But you're saying they've developed now and, you yeah, know, they're much more yeah, user-friendly. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'll tell you, Fran, just before I go off the air there, mm. Uh, the, the pandemic, you know, the pandemic. Sure. The, those machines were used in the hospitals to save, to to give people oxygen. Um, oh yes, those uh, when, respirators. Uh, yeah. They, yeah. Yes, they they were the sleep apnea machines that they operated with in the pandemic there, and what they do, friend, uh, is to put to put you know make sure that you get oxygen to your to your brain and make sure that you're because Which we so the way. Yeah, John, I have to I have to go because I'm going towards the but but thank you so much for sharing that with me, John. I'm very interested, and in thank you, thank you for coming on with us. Today. And and friend, yeah, uh, make sure you. I heard you. I was laughing at you yesterday. Do a bit of exercise. You won't get a machine. <laughs> <laughs> thanks respect, for the, thanks for the advice. Respect, respect your body. <laughs> right, thanks, I, I didn't. I I was working. Oh, and, sure, and, look, I know. You know and I and know. the hours, you know yourself. I know, John. Look after yourself, John. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. And that gentleman is a fantastic man. Thanks, John. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye-bye, John. Now, news and information. And you're very welcome back to the final hour of Tip Today. Thanks for that, Pat. Uh, 1800-938-007. Um, referring back to my chat with uh, Teresa from Sean Ross Abbey just a while ago. One of her listeners says, uh, what an amazing, beautiful woman uh, speaking in respect to all of the beautiful people that carried such grief in their souls through no fault of the was a beautifully written uh, text there from one of our listeners. Uh, regarding the Picasso that's drawing pictures of penises and testicles uh, all over this part of uh, Clonmel, um, Joe says, a good hard day's work would cure that Picasso and all of his ailments. Um, somebody else uh, threatening all sorts of things if, if they cut your man with the, the, the spray paint. Um, okay, and all sorts of unsavoury stuff in. That's given me a giggle, but I can't possibly read out on the radio. But thank you for that. All right, it being Thursday, I'm delighted to be joined in the studio by Muriel Cuddy from Marito 8020. Good morning to you, Muriel. Morning, friend. How are you today? I'm great. Sun is shining. Sun is shining, which is a plus. Anyway, you brought a guest with you today. I did. So Will William is back. Tell so me about William. William was in with us last March. Um, yeah, so it's nearly 12 months ago, isn't it? Uh, William came to me uh, in November 2022 um, with a lot of, what shall we say, inflammatory um, conditions, really. that That's probably the best way to put it. So there was different things, as in he felt really unwell. So his system was, was practically shutting down. At the time, they had just had twin babies and they also had another little boy at home. So there was a lot going on at home. William wanted to train, wanted to go back and play hurling and all of that kind of thing, but had no energy levels whatsoever. So, like, his system... I think there was a lot of gas. There was a lot of different things like that, wasn't there? Yeah. And there was even like strange things as in like an itch 
um, uh, on his elbow and just certain things that he couldn't figure out and had and been to doctors and had had right. like the and, cameras. And, and how was that affecting... Come a little closer to that microphone for me, William. If you, how was that affecting your life? And just to remind people again, William. Yeah, it's just a lot of discomfort a lot of the time, especially after eating and that, you know. Um, tiredness, kind of just grogginess, kind of lack of energy, lack of motivation um, kind of thing. So it's been going on for going on for a while. Um, and what did you think at that point? Did you think it was just down there? It was I a just, stressful time for you and your family? Something, and I thought it was something you know, internally in the stomach or something like that or, you know, something medical. So I'd been to the doctor, got bloods done, blood showed up fine. You know, it's frustrating because you nearly rather if it showed something that would tell you what, what what's actually going on. Yes. Um, actually had an, an aunt of mine that got me uh, into the car, hospital in Cork to get a scope just to see if there's anything sinister there. That showed up nothing. Um, so it's just kind of frustration of, of feeling why you were feeling the way you were feeling, um, even though medically you, you couldn't you couldn't be diagnosed as anything or bloods were showing up fine so it was um, just kind of a frustration on what it was and um, I'd heard Muriel on the radio before that and um, I said I'd just I'd give her a shout um, I just whatsapped her my details what age I was what I, what I kind of do for a living what sports I play uh, you know the frustrations of, of, of what was what was happening and I couldn't figure out what it was and the discomfort from it Um so yeah, I came down and, and met her, and uh, the first day I met her was, was great. We kind of sat for nearly an hour just chatting through lifestyle and you know your job and your hobbies and what you yeah. eat and down to the kind of fine detail, really digging into what it was. And um, you know she, she was nearly able to diagnose quick enough that from even looking at my tongue that it was maybe a, a dairy intolerance um, that I have that was setting the thing off. But and had you any idea that that, that might be the case? No, 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 I didn't. No. I just just had like as I said, I probably learned to live with it over the years. Like I'd be belching, maybe gassy or whatever after after meals, and I suppose you just kind of got used to thinking that was just you know your, your reaction yeah. to food yeah. or whatever. Yeah. So, but uh, it kind of came to a head one night when I, I came back from just coaching a, a team, and um, I spent most of the day belching before I went, and even when I came back, I was nearly dry retching over the sink belching uh, and nothing was coming up you nearly, nearly hoped something would come up so that you'd you could actually maybe figure out what what was causing the problem but um, my wife just said to me that time look you need to need to do something to get it sorted because it's, it's, you know, it's not it's not, right. it's not good so. so so William came to you he described all of these symptoms did you pretty much know kind of almost straight away like nearly immediately well when he sent WhatsApp like you know straight away there's, there's an issue there and you know like the system is starting to wind down it doesn't like some of the time dairy is probably one of the biggest inflammatories and if there's a gut issue dairy is going to exacerbate it anyway so sometimes it mightn't have been the starter so it doesn't have to be the intolerance in the very beginning yes. um, the intolerance in the beginning can be even simpler like I won't say simpler but it can be even stress related like it doesn't even have to be a food issue from the very beginning because look, the gut is our first brain literally so any level of cortisol or anything that goes into the gut can actually you know cause issues and then every everything else that goes in on top of that is literally adding flames to that fire that's already there and it just it stays going up so dairy was one of the issues the gut had broken down but dairy was one of the issues that was exacerbating that yeah but here you had a slim fella yep. a, a guy who was active and sporty yep. and, and and all of that ticked all the right boxes yep. but here was suffering in this way I know and you know that's one of the things that I keep talking about all the time like it doesn't have to um, outwardly show 
if there's something going on inside, the body is shouting at you in some way or another. You don't have to look like it is, but if it's shouting at you to say there's something wrong, you have to listen to it. Yes. So in William's case, it was going on for ages. Like I had a guy or was a guy or girl in yesterday, I can't remember, I see so many. But um, I had somebody in yesterday, yeah, it was a man actually, right? And he had said to me, he couldn't understand, his system is breaking down now. Oh, he actually had a heart attack. 10 years ago, right? Couldn't understand where the heart attack come from. Farming, only 43, doing everything right, eating all the right foods and everything, right? Um, he, so the heart attack came on all of a shot. Now, 10 years later or whatever, really, really tired still. Where's the tiredness coming from? Still feels really ill. Um, it's nearly every second day that she's able to work and things like that. Like These issues for him, when we delved into it, we, we were able to go back like to when he was a teenager or say early 20s. So his gut was breaking down back then. So like his gut was under pressure, his liver was under pressure, cholesterol profile like had gone wrong in his early 30s. So his body was shouting at him even early on back then. There's different things wrong. But like we don't know. We don't know what it is. And as human beings, like unless it presents as a problem that kind of stops you living your life, you're either going to take a tablet like for a headache or whatever or else you'll go to the doctor. But when you're younger, you don't think of things like this, like cholesterol levels and stuff like that. And like a, a odd little bit of wind and maybe a pain in your stomach an odd time, like you might put it down to like the 10 pints I had on Friday night or whatever I ate mm. at some stage or another. This guy is really slim as well. So not unlike William, you know, but like he's resulted in a heart attack somewhere along the way. And so now 10 years cool. later, the issues are still there. So you you got advice and IBS was the the diagnosis, I, I suppose, William. At what point then did you begin to see that this is working for you in terms of the advice you were getting? Um, it, it took a while, in fairness. Um, I was in contact with Muriel a lot at the start, just kind of WhatsApp and her pictures of packets of this and that, just to make sure it was suitable or whatever. So you went into it in fine detail. Yeah, yeah. Like the hardest part was to to, to kind of sit down and uh, maybe draw up a list of of stuff that you could go and shop that would suit you, um, because you just end up buying the same things every week and. Then, Unless you put the brakes on and stop and just sit and just, or even go into the shop and just actually walk around browsing the backs of packets and you could be in there for way longer than normal just to actually figure out what you could replace that you're currently taking with something similar that's suitable for your system. So um, that took a while just to get that going. Um, when I did get that going, it took, I'd say, nearly eight weeks. Um, like after maybe four, four, five, six weeks in, I was starting to doubt was it dairy was there something was it anything there at all um but it's in maybe around the eight week mark it just really started to to turn because i suppose the gut had had a chance like i'd, I'd strip back everything um from it because as mirror said to me like anything at all is going to inflame it because it is already in bits so um i just had to strip it right back to the basics simple 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 food cut and out takeaways and stuff like that you know when so. you began to feel well Explain that to me. I mean, how how different did you feel? I just didn't have the like, the the belching after eating food. It was a lot more comfort. You just felt a bit clearer headed, a bit more energy from it as well. Um, just just all around. Even my wife had said to my face, it had you know, it wasn't as as as, as kind of puffy as it was yeah. beforehand. So it was you know, even on on my body shape as well, you'd you'd see it. Um, that that really changed. Um, and not, we'll say, we'll say just around the, just the stomach area, really. Like that, that was where most of the the, the, the extra bit of um, yes. bloating would have been from from the intolerance. And you know, would so. your would you describe your diet up until then as being a poor diet? I mean, did you have a lot of takeaway? Did you? No, no. no. I, like I would have been like eating pretty well. I would have taken lunch with me on the road every day. Um, uh, that I we'd prepared the night before, uh, type thing, and pretty healthy. Yeah. 
you know, snack here and there, but um, it was, you know, stuff, it was obviously likes of chocolate I had there, you know, stuff that, ingredients within food that, that would have, um, that I wouldn't have thought it would have been a problem, that, that was, you know, a build-up of that over years and of small bits and every different type of food that didn't suit, you know, that was just that amalgamation of all that stuff over a long period of time that got to the point where I just literally exploded. Yeah, you see, it, I mean, just listening to, to the story, it's not simple, sure it's not. I mean, you think, okay, I'm intolerant to dairy, I'll stop having butter and milk and cheese and then I'm done. It's not that simple, sure it's no, not. You see, if somebody can, can reach out for help sooner, before the body breaks down. Yes. But we don't. We wait like, uh, for William, he was like at the end of his header and that's why he came in. And when he came in, he had no choice but to do exactly as I wanted him to do if he wanted to become well. I'm getting it. And I suppose this is great because the airways lets people hear that there is help because most of the time, like I had four people in yesterday alone for, for diverticulitis. Like I haven't seen. Remind us about that. So diverticulitis is another inflammatory um, condition within within the gut or whatever. Like this little it'll form little pouches and it's a disease and it's like really debilitating. It can really wind the body down and you have to really get to the to 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 eliminate the proper right like the wrong foods and get the right foods and heal the body and all that kind of thing. But I had four people in with that alone. I had a lady that said to me, Muriel, I didn't know the difference between irritable or inflammatory bowel disease and irritable bowel syndrome. Yes. Um. So you've people going off getting like the cameras and all of this kind of thing done they've no idea what's wrong but I suppose what I'm trying to say is when people go to get the cameras done when they're gone to the doctors when they're going to consultants that's like you've 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 gone over the hill of you're in trouble so when people come to me on that level like William then they've no choice but to listen to me because right. it's either be, it's either stay going the way you're going and literally yes, because all the tests proved to be fine yeah and you yeah. know but he still was feeling but grotty. still feeling yeah. yeah so there's a difference between say irritable bowel syndrome you can't see it on anything yes so you've all the symptoms and your body is shutting down but you can't see it on anything right. so we have to r- work really hard then at getting to the bottom of why is your gut in bits um, what can we actually do. Yes. To, to heal it. And, and isn't he very honest? Sorry, I don't mean to be just talking about you as if you're... Okay. But isn't he very honest by saying, six weeks in, I was beginning to doubt yeah. the advice. Yeah. Is that common too? Totally. And, you know, for me, that's the piece with people that I have to say, you have to stick with right, it. Right, you have to get them over that. So for yeah. some people, like, it can take six months because if the gut is in bits, you have to heal it. The healing has to happen. So, like, it's for all the world like an open wound. So it's like an open wound, like a scab, literally, on your hand, right? That's not going to scab over and its skin isn't going to grow unless you remove, say, like, if you're putting salt and you're putting irritants into it, that's going to stay open. So the wound, which is your stomach, is going to stay open until you remove all the irritants, first of all. When you remove all of them, it'll slowly start to close, but it won't heal fully if there's anything at all going in that's going to irritate it. So that's what you have to do. You have to heal that wound, but you have to be prepared for it. There's no point, there's no point working with me unless you're prepared to actually buy into it properly. Like this is different to weight loss. Mm. It's different to your general day to day, like a slight headache or whatever it is. This is the body breaking down and you're becoming really unwell. So you have to then be ready to listen to say, right, okay. And sometimes I don't get it right in the first the first consultation every single time, Fran. Like, people have to work with me. Like, William was fantastic. He kept, a, like, an in-depth food diary and a mood diary of every single thing that was happening. He wrote down every single thing. He wrote down how he felt after every single thing. And he'd done exactly what I asked him to do every single week. Now, that's on a different level. But as a result, he's down two levels of visceral fat. He's down, like, 5 or 6% body fat. He's feeling fantastic again. He's back training in the gym. 
He's doing everything he couldn't have done. T- t- tell me about that, that keeping a diary, because I'm being advised to do that. I'm making a bags of a lady. <coughs> yes, I know, I know. But, but tell me how important that that was, William, to, to document. Yeah, it's, it's just the kind of, I suppose for me, it was to try and nearly create um, a list of a lot of options that you could take. Because when I started at first, I kind of found... You know, you're trying to replace things that you, you kind of liked a lot and you'd eat a lot and you know you want something that would fill that gap or whatever and then but you don't want to have just one thing that you get bored of after a while and you don't go back to what you not what you shouldn't be eating so I was just trying to build a, a list of stuff that I could actually rotate around and, and use and that would be would be beneficial to me and wouldn't wouldn't affect the, the the irritability of it and and even just by writing it down you can kind of see exactly what you're putting into your system every every day or every week and, and the big things that you would have had to dismiss from your diet then were what exactly? Would have been milk, uh, butter, um, anything dairy really, um, bread as well, um, kind of took that out as well, although I, I, I kind of had removed that a bit beforehand because I kind of felt it was irritating on my system, um, especially white bread, but um, yeah, it's just, it's as I said, it's in a lot of things you wouldn't think, like chocolate, you know, you'd be picking at chocolate there, even even crisps and stuff as well but I know lately I've kind of removed um, rapeseed oil and sunflower oil because it's inflammatory and you know go on, on the on. gut so yeah it was kind of hard to you know just all those little things kind of uh, within uh, products kind of add up that you know it gives you the overall problem I suppose and as I said it took a while to to get it right but and do you get used to like I mean you talk about I love bread so you, you talk about bread there and dairies do you get used to you know basing your diet w- without that do you? yeah like, it hasn't really overly bothered like I've replaced milk and stuff with almond milk or whatever so there's, there's alternatives out there yeah uh, with the bread it hasn't overly overly bothered me to be honest I just found it a bit a bit heavy anyway so um, I haven't really a bit of McCambridge bread I can I can, I can manage with, with, with something like that you know that, that's fine but again I wouldn't uh, wouldn't be on it every day I, I kind of cut it back really a, a lot but um, it's kind of simpler simpler foods really um, hummus and crackers and stuff like that, you know, bits and pieces in the evening, nuts and chocolate, um, and like that dark chocolate that would would uh, would, would kind of replace a lot of stuff that I was I was taking. So and the, and the William I would have spoken to about nine months ago. I mean, mentally and all of that. Are you in a much different place now? Do you think? Are you? Yeah, so there was a lot going on that time, even outside of of dietary with with the the birth of our two baby yeah. twin boys, and having a four year old as well. So there was you know that compiled on top of the you know the the, the dietary issues you know you're already tired as it was uh, with the with the children newborn newborn course, babies or whatever yes. else so that on top of it would uh, exasperate the whole thing so um, and I should have asked you the, the symptoms you described did they come on you at a period in your life or when you think back did you always have issues I think I always really had it I did just you? kind of I kind of ignored it away I suppose over time and until it got to a point where it just was at crisis point with, with with my gut really and I just wasn't wasn't comfortable at all so um but like as you as you say that like when I was doubting it after doubting it working after about six weeks when you look back and how, how many years of your life you're putting the wrong stuffs in you know six weeks isn't a long time compared to doing the right thing compared to how long you were doing the wrong thing so you know it's going to take that right. that period of time to undo what you've done over the, over a lifetime of, and do you ever get bored and sort of revert to an item or two and if you do how does that affect you um yeah um i suppose when my gut 
eventually healed um, like I've never really put dairy back in but a lot of the stuff I'd taken out to help cleanse the gut basically we cut it back to really simple foods just to completely cut the, uh, to gut the, the, the gut out completely and um, after you know a period of time when I felt a lot more comfortable eating foods and there was no uh, effects to it you know I, I kind of maybe slipped a small bit back into putting in uh, stuff that I normally wasn't taking and it didn't it didn't um it didn't overly set me off, which was great, but um, I did check back in with Muriel in January just to see how it was going, and some of the levels had just kind of crept up a, a slight bit again. Uh, even though I wasn't having the discomfort, it wasn't, you know, mm. it was yeah. kind of setting the, the motion in the wrong direction again, so it kind of just... I kind yeah. of kind of steadied myself and kind of got back on the right track there in the last few weeks. So, so largely, Muriel, is this a lifestyle change for somebody? Then this isn't something like like you know a diet. I want to lose a few pounds or something. This this is a lifestyle. It, it totally is, and you know it's one of the things I say because men, especially, and I suppose for the men that are listening, like there's help there if you feel really miserable. That's one of the biggest things. But your food becomes very functional. That's what I call it. It's functional food until we heal. So put, let's put in the foods. Your food is your medicine. Thomas Edison said that back in 1940 and that's the way it needs to be. So if you treat your food as your medicine, because people even say this is a bit more expensive, etc. But you're not buying tablets. So you treat your food as your medicine, you heal the gut. Once the gut becomes well again, then the foods, this is intolerance, it's not an allergy. So the foods we take out can go back in again. You're not going to die when they go back in again. Mm. So if you have discomfort, then you know, okay, that's gone okay. and you don't want it. But a lot of the time you don't have discomfort. So like 80% of the time you eat well, the 20 percent of the time you still have your go back to your takeaways and have your glass of wine and have whatever if you feel the discomfort then you know yourself like for me I would say like and you know me like I talk about my taco chip or whatever mm, it is yeah. I die after it like I literally die Do I don't sleep like I'm literally like my stomach is in bits and even the next day like I'm probably as contrary as hell but I love my taco chip. Yeah. So am I going to stop it? No, I'm not. And that's the way it works in the world of intolerance issues. Once you heal the gut, you can start putting the stuff back in again and you work out yourself then, well, what's working, what yeah. isn't working and do the 80-20 piece. It's interesting. Uh, Mary was on. She says, I love listening to Muriel. She's wonderful. God almighty, will you stop? Um, a friend of mine has <laughs> ME, that's myalgic encephalopathy or something, but it's a fatigue syndrome. And, and I'm wondering, does Muriel have any help with that? And could that be gut related? And could that be food related as well? No, you see, it's not. It's like there's, there's so many different um, inflammatory, you know, um, diseases and syndromes and all the different things out there. With something like ME, you can do the um, anti-inflammatory piece and it's going to help. No, it's not like gut related and it isn't anything she's done. It isn't anything she's put into her body. A bit like IBD and a bit like celiac. It's not something that you've done or not something that you've eaten. But if you do drive down inflammation within the body, well, then you're going to feel better as a result anyway. So if you have a high level of inflammation and you have something like ME, you're going to feel miserable. So try and get the information piece down. All right. Uh, one of our listeners listening to William, they figure now that they have a lot of the same symptoms. Um, it says here, dairy, uh, is it overuse of dairy or underuse of dairy? Personally, I'm dairy free, but I had brucellosis years ago. Um, but listening to William, I think I may have the same complaint because I've always had a dislike of uh, white bread, for example. Um, so what, what so this is that? really important, right? So if you're, di- if, if you're self-diagnosing, it's very hard, right? But dairy is either in or out. So you can't like do uh, even like a little a drop little, of milk. Okay. You can't do that. So is it a little dairy? Is it a lot of dairy? It's no dairy. Right. So dairy's in bread, dairy's in biscuits, dairy's in pastries, dairy's in your butter, it's in your cheese. It's in so many different things. The smallest drop of dairy is like the tiniest bit of a fire lighter into a fire. That's the way it works. 
it'll right. go up. So the it's not the amount. It's, it's not it's, the amount. It's like gluten in that way. Totally, yeah. totally. Get rid yeah. of dairy completely. Search everything, single thing for it and get it out. Yeah, an interesting one as well. Somebody's saying, is it possible that I'm a 50-year-old and I can eat everything I want with no issue whatsoever? Or will I have future, uh, future issues? Uh, I was never overweight. I drive a truck for a living and I like a bit of walking uh, every, every week or two. That's somebody who, I, I'm guessing there, and I'm reading between the lines, might be eating a lot of the wrong stuff, but it's not having an effect. No, I'm it. actually listening there and the other, as in, he said he walks, etc. a bit, and it seems to me it comes across as, as in a positive attitude. I would actually think he has the balance right. I bet that man probably brings his sandwiches to work and stuff like that and isn't eating like a chicken fillet roll every single morning, five or six mornings a week. Right. And you know what? The other thing is, though, some people have, like the gut of whatever you'd call it I don't know but they can eat everything they yeah, want I know you don't know? you hate them totally like yeah. it's like somebody that can drink like a bottle of whiskey every day and like they could have three brothers to die of heart disease at 55 or 60 like and they're still going strong at 80 or 90 or somebody that smokes non-stop like because there'll always be like things outside outside yeah. the box or whatever you know but in the for the majority of cases and I've never seen as much of it Fran in all my time of these of the body starting to shut down um, because of different food related or lifestyle related things. You shouldn't, I'm going to say it again because it was quoted back to me so many times last week, you shouldn't have constipation, diarrhoea, be chronically tired, have nauseousness, um, be belching, have um, skin disorders like um, itchy skin or whatever, headaches. You shouldn't have any of these things, okay? Anxiousness, stress, all of that. If it's lifestyle related, it shouldn't be there. Uh, reading an article uh, today, I think it was Ali who gave it to me. I was a doc, I can't remember. But uh, they said Muriel will love this. Ultra processed food is directly linked to 32 harmful effects to health, including a higher risk of heart disease, cancer, type 2 diabetes, adverse mental health, early death. And that's according to the world's largest review of its kind. No surprise to you. No, totally. And it's going to get worse. It's totally going to get worse because like I, I like I know all the interventions are there now to lose weight and everything and like so much of the population is obese or whatever. Now, the fact that you can actually like, yeah, take an injection or take a tablet or take whatever it is or do laser lipo or do whatever it is and lose weight, it, it kind of means we can still even stay doing the other side. Like the health side has to come in somewhere. So I don't know where the health side is going to come in because like there's going to be a billion people on the weight loss injections like by next whatever June or whatever and then so many taking all the other meds or whatever. So where does the health piece come in because the farmer world is driving all the other piece of it there's nobody driving the piece that we need to drive so we'll become more unwell I think younger because I'm seeing younger and younger people coming into me and as a man getting this sort of help and treatment did you get any slagging from fellow particularly in the sports field ah he's just there he's on about his diet and he's finicky about his food did you get any sort of no I actually think it's nearly the other way like a lot of the the modern um, I suppose players younger than me you know, the lads in the club at home even they're all mad into that the gym piece the diet piece so a lot of them like when you start having the conversations with them you kind of figure out that they, some of them have similar issues and they can't figure it out either so um, I kind of I told a lot of people you know the help I was getting I got Muriel down to our club actually to do a talk uh, at the start of last season so um, just because again it helps it along like you can you can be doing a lot of the right things training wise and you're still not seeing the benefits and you're, and you're, you're getting frustrated and you're wondering why and, and uh, it could be something like that that's actually holding you back rather than you know 
it, God knows if I'd come 20 years ago to, to get diagnosed with it, you know, because I always, even on the field, I'd always feel, felt tired or gassed out fairly quick. Like, so, you know, it was obviously going back a long, long time that, you know, those issues were there. So, yeah. I said, you can do all the right physical training, but when there's something else blocking your progress, it's it's frustrating, especially when you don't know what it is. That's, you know? that's interesting. I've said that to you before. I can't get over that we accept discomfort and pains and aches as the norm. Mm. You know, many of us like we we do, but I think we're so busy and lives yeah, are I so know. busy. You don't yeah. have time, but, um, but like that's what amazes me as well. Like you take a half a day to go to a consultant because it took so long to get into this consultant, and you need to go and see him because he's going to perform a miracle and make you better. And yes. you'll queue up in a doctor's and waiting do. room for and they do at times. Yeah, they fairness, do totally, yeah. totally. Yeah. yeah, but you'll take time off to do all of that. But like William said, the hour, the extra hour or two to go around um, the supermarket and look at the back of back of things. You know, we don't take that time to mind ourselves at all, do we? I don't know where it's coming from, Fran. To be honest, we're so busy. And our systems are winding down so much and yeah, it's, it seems to be acceptable. But a lot of men recently. Yeah, but you know the other side as well, I suppose, and that's one of the big things I'm finding. <laughs> the education piece is massive and people don't understand. So it's even unfair to give out or it's unfair to say whatever. The food is all put out there in front of us. It's marketed up to within an inch of its life. It's it's directed at us to hit us like within the first whatever, third of a second that you see it. So if, if it's perceived healthy, you're going to think you're eating fairly well or you're eating fairly healthy. Like if somebody says dairy-free, I spent an extra hour in Tesco on Sunday and I was looking at all the different aisles of like the milks and the dairy-free stuff or whatever. There's a mozzarella. There's a, there's a cheese called, a dairy-free cheese called mozzarella. There's like all of these things. And I was looking at the back of them like palm oil, sunflower oil, modified starch, all of these things inside them. People don't know. Like if I was to say here in the radio, like you need to be dairy-free, you automatically assume if you pick up something that's dairy-free, it's going to be healthier for you than the dairy piece. But that's actually worse than the dairy. Martin has a very important question for you, uh, William. He says, will you ask William about alcohol? (laughs) (laughs) What about that? Um, It's fine now. At the start, it was... um, It it would set the thing off um, tenfold. Um, And even... Would it? Yeah, 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 it was. It was just exasperating. What, pints? Uh, Yeah, like I would have been drinking... um, It would have been pints pints mainly, yeah. Um, I remember we had a club trip shortly after I started at Muriel and she said to to try, um, you know, spirits and and sparkling water or something like that. Mm. Uh, If you were going to have a drink, that would be easier on the stomach, just just while we were cleansing the gut kind of thing. So um, at the start when the thing was, my gut was in bits, like that was only literally like petrol going uh, into the system. So um, I had to kind of cut it out. Um, Now it's fine, like I can... can t- like I'm not drinking every weekend or anything, but I, every so often I'll have, have a, a few drinks. Yeah, I'll feel like the next day and not more normal. And Martin is wondering, what did you replace bread with? I haven't really put anything in with bread. I, I just, you just uh, don't. yeah, yeah, I just yeah, don't. Just I don't really don't. take it. I, yeah. I didn't do wraps really either. I didn't. I just left it out really. I, I haven't. Uh, haven't. Feel, I know it's a it's a staple in the Irish diet, but uh, I haven't really. Right. I suppose you, I haven't you're really not missing it. it now, are you? You've you've gotten around it. Yeah. No. You? Not overly. Not, to be yeah. honest, it hasn't hasn't overly bothered me. It's just it, the feeling of what you felt like when you were taking it, it outweighs what you That's the point, isn't it? it? If so. people want to talk to you about this or anything else, Muriel, how, how can they do Can that? I just mention the Future oh, Beauty you Show? Better, you better do that. I can't go back if I don't There'll mention it, right? Yeah. So I was talking on Monday about, you know, the, how you, the building businesses and all that kind of thing. The Future Beauty Show is on this weekend in the RDS. So the Future Beauty co- co- Show covers health, aesthetics and beauty. So you know our world is health um, and aesthetics, whatever. Mm-hmm. We visited four years ago um, as spectators. We visited it three years, years ago as spectators. We loved it. We visited it two years ago um, 
uh, as cl- starting to build the clinic or whatever. Last year we had the clinic. So this year I'm heading up the health stage. So I'm talking about what we talk about here. So like there'll be loads of doctors and all that, but people can come. So we're also, we have a, um, a big stand there. So myself and Dr. Nadir are on the stand. And this is why I want to say this. So if you have somebody say, I'm getting a lot on Instagram lately from people saying to me, Muriel, where can I see you? Can I come to you? We're doing consultations all day on the Saturday and all day on the Sunday. So just come over and say hello to us. And if they want to have a chat with us, they can sit down with us. There's spaces there that are private for 15 minutes that we can actually do the consultations, etc. So that's just really good. good. So if they want even, they can give us a shout and we'll tell them how to how to um, get entry okay. in that. But it's in the good. RDS. And if people want to talk to you? Yes. So our number is 0526148811 or www marito8020.com Alright, very good. William, thanks for coming into us. The very best of luck to you and to your, your family as well. Thanks a lot. Mm-hmm. Alright, it's 11.35. We'll be back in just a moment. Alright, various uh, other questions for Muriel and we will put them to her next uh, time round but of course you can give them a call. It's uh, marito8020. Just Google that. I just have a lot of people looking for the number again. I don't have it to hand here but um, if you just Google uh, marito8020 in Clanmel you'll get... Uh, You'll get Muriel's contacts where that is uh, concerned. But I'm delighted, yeah. A lot of people want to say how much they get out of that slant by way of uh, information and the like, and we're happy to know that as well. I was reading today, Pope Francis, um, he recently had the flu and he, he was brought to hospital in Rome for diagnostic uh, testing after the papal audience yesterday. The Vatican has said without giving... Uh, further details on that, but he arrived in the hospital on uh, Tiber Island in a, a small white Fiat 500, which is a tiny, tiny little car, but leaving again under escort in the same car after a rather uh, short visit there as well. So we, we wish him well. He's 87, but he's been having uh, some some issues of uh, late. All right. Two young Rockwell College pupils have won the AIB Entrepreneurial Award for their business, Speedway X. And let's find out a bit more about it because I'm joined now by the two young gentlemen in question. That's Paddy Corcoran and Jack Lane. Good morning to you both and thanks for coming on with me today. Thank you very much for having us. Uh, Paddy, can I start with you on this? Would you, would you explain to me Speedway X, how, what is it? Well, Speedway X, it's a car racing simulator that, that tests your driving skills and to win to win a prize. Uh, for, on the day, we had a, a TV uh, and the steering wheel and a seat from a real Porsche, and we used we utilised the, the gaming software Assetto Corsa, in which we customised our own our own cars to fit people, fit young people for what they would like to do. Wow! And Jack, what about the development of this? How long did it take you to put this together? Um, well, I suppose it kind of took us a few weeks to you know fully come up with the idea and the business plan, and then once we had it all together, it was kind of just plug and play. Then on the day. Right, because this is obviously something that you've both been doing for some time, is it? Yeah, um, until, since October. Since October, isn't it, isn't it just amazing? And what about proceeds, Paddy? This is going to Pieta House. How does that work? Um, well, Pieta House, Mr. Marrow's going to call Pieta House to the school and we're going to write a cheque for Pieta House. Right, and have you any idea how much money that's going to be yet? Uh, €528. Euro. 528 euro, which is not to be sneezed at uh, for sure. Jack, is this giving us an indication about what you both want to do maybe after after Rockwell by way of college and stuff? Is this something you're going to pursue? Yeah, I think me and Paddy would really love to have, you know, a joint business venture in the future. We both really enjoy business and coming up with ideas. Right. And Paddy, to win this, I mean, this is a fantastic achievement. To win this, how special is it to you? 
Oh, very special. I, I'm, I'm delighted that we won this. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure you are indeed. And Jack, when you come back to the school after winning something like this, then what kind of reaction did you get? All the teachers were very happy to see us come back with an award, especially our business teacher, Mr. O'Mara. He was so happy to, you know, see us and get such a big achievement for the school and everyone was just kind of delighted with us. Of course. And did the teachers play a part in it, Paddy, in terms of helping you along? Uh, yeah, we had Miss Gilroy, our art teacher. She helped us print out posters. And um, Eileen from the secretary's office, she helped us print out posters as well. Right. Is and there... obviously Mr. O'Mara, our business teacher. Right. Is... The overall. is there any way we can have a look at what you've done? Is it up online anywhere? Um, yeah, on our Instagram page, speedwayx underscore, and our website, speedway-x.ie, you can find it all there. All right. Well, look, we're delighted with you both and many congratulations to you and you're in a wonderful school, uh, of course, and we wish you well for the future uh, too. Thanks, Paddy. Thanks, Jack. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank Thank you. you. Good morning to you. Isn't that fantastic? Two teen businessmen, Paddy Corcoran and Jack Lane there from the wonderful Rockwell College, winning the AIB Entrepreneurial Award for their business, Speedway. All right, we'll uh, take a break and then we'll talk farming. Um, I was telling you we have some uh, questions that we'll put to Muriel next time around, but there's one very interesting one indeed, and I wish I thought of it. But a listener is saying, is it possible that these gut problems that we're hearing about goes back to not being breastfed as uh, a baby? Isn't that a very interesting uh, question? We certainly we will talk to Muriel or indeed some other experts about that uh, as soon as we possibly can. Right now it's time for farming and I'm glad to be joined uh, by Katrina Morrissey from the Farmer's Journal. Good morning to you, Katrina. Good morning, friend. And good to talk to you today. A bit of a cash flow injection for farmers this week? Yeah, very welcome one. Um, farmers have been waiting for the payments under ACRES, which is an agri-environment scheme, and uh, I'm not sure if your listeners will remember, but the, these were delayed and yeah. farmers were getting quite antsy because you know, not too many people have to wait for their paycheck these days. Um, but what the minister decided to do then was to... Um, so there's a lot of work going on behind the scenes doing uh, farm checks and, and uh, kind of base studies, as it were, of the environmental, um, I suppose, position that each farm is on. That's a, It's a really intensive groundwork thing. So it's literally advisors going out and walking 47,000 farms. So it's a huge job wow. of work. Yeah. That's taking a long time. That's what was delaying the payments, as well as a few IT issues along the way. But what the minister decided to do was basically override the system that he was using in order to give lump sum payments to farmers they are now issuing this week so a farmer who is doing a cooperation project under acres is going to get five thousand euro and a farmer who's going in as an individual through the general entry route is getting four thousand once their their farm surveys are complete and the results of that back those farmers then will be will be told what their actual payment should be and if necessary there will be a clawback from what they've received. So it's I suppose it's a it's a sticking plaster, but it means that farmers have been paid, you know, important time of the year, I suppose spring hasn't really sprung yet. Um there's still seed mm. to be bought and fertilizer to be bought, etc. So that cash flow is very important. Um and in total there's about twenty three thousand farmers being paid this week. The European Parliament voted on, on Tuesday, Katrina, where the nature restoration law is, is concerned. What, what's the reaction been to that? Um, cool on the farming side because uh, I suppose the biggest reason of all, number, there's two reasons. Number one, it is potentially going to restrict farmers in some areas. And if, if nature restoration is imposed on farmers, 
it is going to have um, an effect on their ability to produce farm income from farming. And But the second part, and the, the, probably the biggest problem, is that there has been no budget allocation for this nature restoration. So, for example, we have the Common Agriculture Budget, mm. and that was designed to subsidise the, the production of cheap quality food, because quality food doesn't come cheap but farmers are given subsidies in order to do that. There's no actual commitment to funding or to an amount of funding. And this is where farmers mm. in Europe and abroad are most have been most annoyed because member states have said, yes, we're all in favour of this. The, the MEPs have voted in favour of it, but without saying that this is what we will do to compensate or subsidise the farmers I thought, who are affected. I thought funds from CAP was being diverted to environmental issues, Katrina. They are. This is the newest part of it, I suppose. Um, but, you know, that's for environmental issues. So, for example, uh, staying within the cap. So, for example, the, the acres payment, um, that is for environmental um, uh, work on farms. Mm. Yes. Uh, but farmers are still producing the quality food at less than the cost of production in some cases. Right. Nature restoration law is a completely new law. Um, with no budget attached to it. And this is where farmers are, are really, I suppose, antsy about it. Um, we have. They have been told that you know state land will be enough yeah. to meet the targets um, of of wetland restoration. Rewetting, I suppose, is the the trigger word in the nature restoration law, um, and that that did give farmers some reassurance. Um, but the 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 law that was passed this week does have mention of grasslands, forests, peatlands, rivers and lakes. So there's an awful lot of this still to be played out, I think. And what area of the country would be most affected by this? I suppose number one straight in the door would be the peatland areas. So you're talking about huge swathes of the midlands, the west, the northwest and the western um, seaboard, I suppose, counties. Um, Because peatland is obviously that, that wetland that is so important as a carbon sink. Um, and the draining of that land is a is a very, I suppose, potent emitter of, of carbon and greenhouse gases. Um, and we know that in order to improve our environment and to meet our climate change targets, we need to maintain or maybe re-wet some of that uh, wetland habitat. And it's very important for different biodiversity um, species of flora and fauna as well. But to go back to your original question, First on the, the, the targets, I suppose, will be peatlands. And there's lots of Irish farms on peatland. It's not specifically, you know, it's not just ring fence to places you go to cut your turf. Sure, yeah. Interesting. I, I, I love the headline, by the way, UK billionaire Dyson hoovers up uh, 850 <laughs> uh, acres of an estate in, in County Waterford. What, what is that story, though? Yeah, so this is um, James Dyson, who who um, people may know is the inventor of the Dyson. Originally, I suppose uh, Hoover is, is the brand's name, but vacuum cleaners. So yeah. Dyson's are the kind of handheld vacuum cleaners. He's an engineer. He's he's a complete genius when it comes mm. to developing engineering products. He's gone er, everything from um, from vacuum cleaners, where he made his his wheel millions, I suppose, into things like hair dryers and air purifiers. And but he's also got huge farming interests. So he owns he actually owns thirty six thousand acres of. Uh, mainly tillage ground in England. Wow. And now he's understood to have bought a big chunk of um, the data. Uh, the Tray House uh, and the estate is about 850 acres in West Waterford, so just over the, the V there. Um, that's what he has and, bought. And what's his uh, intentions uh, for that tract of land? What, what, what's he going to do? Will he farm it? We don't 
know for sure, but 850 acres, it's too big to be a garden. Yeah, <laughs> so sure. we can yeah. safely say he, he may do some kind of farming. Over in England, in his UK farm, he's very much into tillage. He's very much into precision agriculture. He farms with a view to um, increasing yields and he's quite an environmentally aware um, mm. landowner as well. Um, and actual fact, we had um, a podcast, a Farmer's Journal podcast a couple of weeks ago with a man from Donegal who was his farm manager for a while. Oh. And he was explaining just uh, how much tech was going into that farm because they were doing things like looking at how much they could reduce the number of times that a tractor would cross a path in the field. And that was to reduce soil compaction, which obviously has benefits for soil fertility. It has benefits for the worm structure, the soil structure and all of that. So he's, he's hugely into science. He's hugely into engineering, so it's really interesting to see what he's doing That's in farming. Just, and did he come from a farming background or something? Is it, was he? I'm not 100 sure of that. Actually, he he did study agriculture in Newcastle University, so yeah. I'm not sure if he came from a farm. Was he born on a farm? But he definitely studied it as an early at an early age. Interesting. Yeah, winter finishers losing about 200 euro a head on on stores. What's what's happening there? Yeah, and look, this is one of the reasons why the acres payment is so important. Yeah. Um, you know, cattle are still in sheds. Winter finishers are the farmers who specialise in um, finishing the cattle in the late winter or or early spring. So they will have been fed on very expensive grain throughout the winter. They're in the shed, they're on silage and and ad-lib concentrate feeding. So um, the cost of that is very high this year and last year. And Adam Woods has some calculations there just about what, what they're getting for their cattle and what the cattle are costing to produce. So... Base price is about five euro a kilo, um, and it's costing them about five euro eighty. So they would need, sorry, apologies, they would need a price of about five euro eighty to break even right. on what they've put into those cattle. So it's it's a high risk game that winter finishing of cattle. Um, I'm always saying on the program, Katrina, we're losing our brightest and best. It certainly seems to me we're also u- losing some of our agricultural graduates now. They're they're choosing to move abroad. What, what's behind that? Yeah. Um, I suppose not dissimilar to every other graduate coming out of college into a high-cost Ireland um, with very little prospect if you're renting of being able to put away any money to save. Um, you know, that idea of home ownership is a long way down the tracks for, for the majority of people. And some of them are just saying, look, I'm, I'm going to go abroad. It might be cheaper to live there. I might be able to save a little bit or maybe I'll just enjoy it and come back then and, and knuckle down at that stage. So Sarah McIntosh, who's our careers expert in the Farmers Journal, sat down with um, a number of ag science graduates to see what, you know, where they've gone in Australia. How are they finding it? They've basically doubled the number of um, Irish people going on working visas to Australia up to la- the middle of June, end of June last year was double the year before. Wow. So she's wow. got their stories. She's talking to Irish people, Irish ag graduates who are working on farms and in other businesses down under. Yeah, you see, it's grand. They go away, they get experience and they might bring even something extra back with them. But it's when they decide not to come back, Katrina. That's what concerns me about it, you know. It is, absolutely. And that's the risk. We're such a high-priced society in every way now from, you know, your basic uh, grocery shopping, you know, your your rent. And I think I was reading a statistic yesterday, but this is the first generation, um, actually I think it's the economist Owen McGee, said it will take 15 years for someone on above average salary to save a deposit for the average house price. Good God. That's a phenomenal statistic. Good God. 
And that, and that just goes to show you. But a lot of these graduates as well, I presume when they're moving away, they're not going back to the family farm. And that in itself then would have some other repercussions, I guess. It could do, yeah, and farm succession is an issue. But actually, traditionally, agricultural graduates often travel abroad, either as part of their um, degree or shortly after the degree. So we have huge numbers of agricultural science graduates from Dublin, Waterford, Cork, that that go to New Zealand, for example, Mm. to work on dairy farms over there. Um, to go out contracting. You know, we have some young people who go out driving machines for a harvest in the US or a harvest in Australia and then come home and work on their own farm as well. But look, there's a risk. But I I think a lot of farmers are well aware of the benefits of international travel, you know, that they go away, work for someone else, which is always beneficial. And then, you know, maybe pick up uh, management systems or yeah, see, yeah. see different genetics or whatever the case may be, they they can bring a lot home and, you know, travel travel is good for everybody, I think, if you can do it. Just finally, the Hoggett prices, uh, there's there's a rise there, isn't there? There is, yeah, good rise. Um, the opposite of the, the beef finishers. So they've gone up about €10 Euro ahead in the last week. Um, so that's good for, you know, that, that's just good news, I suppose. Some of that has been driven by um, the Islamic Festival of Ramadan, which is starts on the 10th of March, um, traditionally a very high demand time of year for, mm. for sheep meat and lambs. So good news on, on the sheep side of things this week. Katrina, always good to talk to you. Thanks for the time this morning. Thank you. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. Thanks, and that's it, Katrina Marcy there at the Farmer's Journal. And of course, the journal is on your shelves right now as well. Okay, those of you who have been looking for Muriel's number. Uh, Doc has rooted it out for me. So it's uh, Marito8020 is the name of uh, the clinic in Clonmel and all the information can be found at uh, marito8020.com and if you want to talk to uh, Muriel or Charlotte or any of the team there, it's 52 614 So that's 52 614 and uh, thanks to uh, everybody who got in touch with uh, the programme today and apologies if we didn't get to your uh, particular uh, text but we embrace them all and I'm sure we'll be getting back to a lot of these discussions once again tomorrow on the programme that's it for me Doc produced Ali looks after her content and uh, the time tunnel on the way I'll talk to you tomorrow look after yourselves won't you bye bye Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.